I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as serial killers, witches, franchises, and director's bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. I almost did not think we're going to be able to record. I've had so many technical gremlins today. (laughs) Oh, it's the Rona. Blame it all on the Rona. (laughs) Rona came and broke my shit. (laughs) Seriously, guys, we've been sitting here for an hour trying different things to get where I can record and it sound okay. And right now we're going on an assumption (laughs) that it sounds okay. Anyways, if it sounds like shit, I apologize in advance. Josh and I still haven't swapped equipment, and I don't even know if it would have helped me in this situation. So, yeah, and if I sound like shit, I, I blame you. <laughs> oh, man. But now that we got the technical gremlins worked out, allegedly, we can try to start this episode, which we were recording on Tuesday, April the 21st of 2020, still under quarantine. It should be up on the 24th, but if it's anything like the last episode, it's not going to be up to the 27th. Whoopsie daisies. But I guess we should go on and dive into episode 39 on horror video games. I honestly don't have any current horror news. I have none. The closest I have, I used for news on the last episode, and I was actually wrong. So I guess it actually is a correction or comment this time. Last time I said something about Sam Raimi being confirmed for doing Doctor Strange 2, but he actually wasn't confirmed until this week. So... Holy shit, I need you to give me lottery numbers. (laughs) Well, it was just so heavily rumored that it had to be true, and apparently it was not true. So Uh, I only have one addition to the last episode. I didn't really catch anything I needed to correct. I just know that multiple times, I don't know by the time it was edited, but a few times in the episode, Josh and I had mentioned not having the budget numbers or looking at them and not writing them down. And it doesn't always mean anything, but I thought it was kind of interesting to look at. Hereditary had a $10 million budget and did $80 million at the box office. It's a lot of money for yeah. a little bit of money. That's, that's yeah. what the studio's like from horror directors. <laughs> Midsummer was also a $10 million budget, but it only made $47 million, which is still a good profit margin. I don't think... Ari Aster was the reason for that, though. I feel like that movie wasn't advertised as much. And the previews that you did see, you didn't really know what was going on. And it didn't scream to you, hey, this is a horror movie. Come see it. Yeah, I can understand that. About the only thing I got, and we haven't gotten any feedback on this, so it could be pointless. But I did see plenty of things in Midsummer that you're supposed to be able to see faces like in the trees and in the snow and shit like that all throughout the movie. I never saw any of that shit. So anybody who's like, you assholes, you didn't notice this. My bad. Okay. (laughs) I know people always talk about that on that movie. And I see things in the scenes that I guess you could tell yourself as a face in the tree, but I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I was looking for people the whole time because of fucking hereditary (laughs) naked people. Before we dive into our movie discussion, let's uh, let's catch up on what we've watched. I, I dipped a little bit into horror and a little bit outside of horror. You know, I like the CW Arrowverse shows, well, at least Arrow, and I, I'd kind of gotten behind on all of those shows since the podcast started. So I got completely caught up on Arrow because it ended, and a little bit of Legends of Tomorrow, which means I got to see a lot of John Constantine kicking demon ass, so that's kind of fun. <laughs> I finished Lock and Key on Netflix, finally, which I really liked, which I believe on the last episode I said had been renewed for a second season. 
So I'm caught up on that. I need to finish Nosferatu. And my wife and I started watching October Faction, which is really good. And we got two episodes to go on that one. Now we started that and I don't remember anything about it. And I don't remember if we finished it. <laughs> it's really good. So I'm assuming you didn't finish it by that statement, but it's, it's a pretty damn good show. Did you watch the, the special additional episode of Tiger King? Not yet. Oh, dude. Fuck it. I'm sorry. So everything I read about the new evidence that had come out and what I was really hoping they were going to discuss, there's none of that in there. It's fucking mm. Joel McHale interviewing half the cast. That's the new episode. Sounds terrible. I'm glad I uh, skipped that one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's anyways, that that motherfucker's under a septic tank. Hopefully we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to do it. We need Geraldo to go and excavate that shit. You know what I'm saying? Remember when he did like the Pharaoh tomb or whatever when we were kids? He did the, uh, uh, the, the, the like the, the search for Jimmy Hoffa shit. <laughs> like, it's yeah, gonna but be he there. also did like an Egyptian tomb, didn't he? Or a pyramid or something? Yeah, where they sent the robot down the shaft and they opened the door and they're like, what's in here? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. Dude, I've been so slammed at work. I don't watch a bunch of shit, but, and this isn't going where you think it's going. So just hear me out. We watched uh, One-Eyed Monster. Uh, is this anything like Killer Condom? <laughs> Starring Ron Jeremy. And uh, Oh my God. <laughs> and what's funny about it is there's like, like one, one scene with boobs in it. Like that's as much nudity as in it. So it's not like a Skinamax flick. It really is a comedy horror. And back when I first brought up Bad Milo, I'm like, oh, it's about a demon penis. And I totally had my movies mixed up. Yes. Um, this movie is about a space thing that comes and crashes into Ron Jeremy while he's outside taking a pee during a porn shoot. And his penis ends up detaching itself from his body and is running around killing people. Is this a trauma flick? No. And that's the thing is it's not done in the vein of trauma, which would have been great. This is more like. Just a cheap horror comedy. It's absolutely terrible. I mean, it sounds cringy. <laughs> There's some zingers in there with the writing as far as some quips and stuff. This sounds as bad as that uh, Glenn Danzig horror movie that came out recently that everybody's shitting on on the internet. Whoa, what is that? It's called Veronica, and I saw the trailer, and it looked so bad that even as a huge Misfits fan, especially in the Glenn Danzig era, I'm not going to watch it. Oh, I'm going to have to watch it just because you said that. <laughs> Maybe this summer when we can hang out again, we should we should <laughs> drink some booze and watch that one together. Then turn it into like a Misfits jam session instead. I don't know. It, it feels like I sh I've watched a lot more stuff than that, but I guess I have been working a lot. And I mean, hell, I spent a week editing the last episode because that thing was I don't remember. It ended up being just under three hours, but I think it was almost five hours before I started. <laughs> so that kept me busy and I guess catching up on TV shows in your free time does eat a lot of time. So, and I still play video games. Hopefully this one isn't as bad, but, uh, I have to admit my notes and I don't know how this happened. My notes on my movie are like a page and a half longer than midsummer. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know how you talked for three hours about midsummer, the page and a half of notes though. That blew my mind. <laughs> He's got the gift. <laughs> whoa, whoa. You're getting ahead of yourself. 
But anyways, let's go ahead and, and dive into our horror video game movies. And probably not in the way you guys are thinking. We're not doing like Resident Evil or like any other horror video game movie adaptations. Mainly because most of those are made by Uwe Boll and nobody wants to cover that shit. But <laughs> <laughs> we are doing horror movies that have a video game in it as the primary plot device, right? And I'm going to start with a movie that is a classic of mine that I saw as soon as it went to pay-per-view or video back in 1994, and that is Brain Scan. And honestly, I hadn't seen this movie since I had teen in my age, which has been a while. And I watched it a ridiculous amount of times back then, and I was worried about it holding up when I picked it, but I felt like it held up. We'll get into that in a little bit. It had a lot of original ideas in it because some of the stuff you... You know, when I get to it, you're going to say, yeah, that's been done before. That's been done before. Not when this came out in 94, actually. <laughs> it was directed by John Flynn, and this is his only horror film. However, he is a famous director. He did Westerns and action flicks. And I'm talking about in the 90s. He was doing most of the Stallone and Seagal flicks back then. No shit. I was trying to find out how he got approached to do this. I didn't quite get that information, but I did find out that he just wanted to do something different. So when he was introduced to the idea he's like yeah i'll do it why not and huh. you can tell watching the movie that it's it's not a rookie director you know what i mean yeah. like you you can get that because the the premise was like i said very ahead of its time and the way it's executed the movie could have been a fucking mess all over the place and it's not except for the mid credit scene but i'll get to that at the end <laughs> But it was written by Brian Owens. He wrote the story and he had only done this in a, a horror movie called Happy Hell Night and maybe some shorts. He wasn't very famous. However, the screenplay writer was Andrew Kevin Walker. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because he's the screenplay writer for seven, eight millimeter, Sleepy Hollow, The Wolfman. He actually wrote seven right after writing Brain Scan. No shit. So, I mean, you had a experienced director and soon to be famous screenplay writer. The story guy, like I said, he hadn't done a whole lot, but usually when it says story, that means you're the guy that came up with the idea and then they paid somebody else to write the actual script. Right. So yeah. the cast, instead of doing them as they come along, I'm just going to do them at the beginning. Like Josh likes to do. Cause I feel like for this movie, it's going to kind of fit a little better. It's starring Edward Furlong as Michael. And I mean, this was right after Terminator two judgment day. Right. So like he was supposed to be a hot commodity. I even wore my hair like him. <laughs> uh, I had that haircut, too. I think we all did in the 90s. Yes. The only other movies I can really think of that he was in that got any traction. There was that indie movie Pecker. Yeah, because he's not a great actor. I'm not going to say that at all. But Pecker, <laughs> he kind of fit in there. And then American History X, because he's the younger brother to Edward Norton. But he was probably chosen for this movie just because of Terminator 2, and, and he was a recognizable name at the time. John Flynn, from all accounts and interviews I could find, was not a fan of working with him. He said he <laughs> wasn't a very good actor, and he basically had to smack him in the morning to get him up and working. Nice. I will say he's got some cringy kind of lines in the movie, but for the most part, he's not bad. It just kind of depends if he's doing faces or talking to himself, or it, it depends who he's interacting with, actually, which is kind of odd. Yeah, he had whiny, annoying shit in T2. So, and I, I yeah. thought he he was less annoying and whiny in this. He's just uh, cheesy lines. I feel like he's not good at delivering them. Like the Asa La Vista baby in Terminator 2. You know what I mean? When he's like <laughs> up your nose, whatever the fuck he says in Terminator 2. I haven't seen it forever. But, you know, like he's not good at delivering those lines that are meant to sound kind of 
Yeah, cringy, I guess. And there's some of those in here. I do want to say he was like 16, 17 when they were shooting this movie. Okay. And one of his co-stars is Amy Hargreaves, and she's Kimberly, the girl next door, who I'm not going to lie, I had a crush on in the 90s, right? Like when I saw this movie. <laughs> she was 24 when they filmed this. So that's kind of funny when you think about some of the scenes with him. But yeah. <laughs> she's done a lot of TV work, and I mean a lot of TV shows, like random episodes. But as far as being a regular on a show, 13 Reasons Why on Netflix Law and Order Special Victims Unit, Homeland on Showtime. Like, she's a main character in those, right? So she's got some big TV credits. But as far as the podcast is concerned, we saw her in Blue Ruin because she's the sister that delivers that awesome line in the car to him, you know? We have T. Ryder Smith in the movie as Trickster. And he was a Broadway, like, stage actor that they grabbed to play Trickster. And honestly, he's one of the best parts of this movie. Which is funny that I say that because I'm going to kind of go into that a bit later (laughs) with a different opinion on something involving the trickster. (laughs) But he's also done some voice actor work and apparently he's a a main character on Venture Brothers, but I've only seen a few episodes of that. So uh, he's got a cool voice. So, you know, you can see that. Frank Langella is in the movie as Detective Hayden, and he's like an old school actor and he's just been in a bunch of shit. But as far as horror realm or like nerd realm is concerned, he was Dracula once in a Dracula movie. And he was Skeletor in the He-Man movie when we were kids. Now it makes more sense why when we were watching it, I kept referring to him as Kmart Christopher Lee. (laughs) (laughs) But he was actually chosen by John Flynn because he didn't want your stereotypical hard-ass detective in the movie like you usually get in these kind of movies. However, that's the kind of character he plays normally. So he had him play like a soft and gentle detective, right? Like he was not real imposing on Michael in the movie, but it sounded strong because of his personality. And I really like that because that really yeah. stood out to me. Because, you know, when he's like, well, I don't want you to get in trouble, kid. Get out of here. But, you know, he sounds like a hard ass when he says it, like he's playing bad cop. So he's a good <laughs> cop, bad cop and one dude. So I, I kind of like that. The only other main character is Michael's friend, Kyle. I didn't see that he had been in much. And I guess I actually forgot to write down his name. I do think it was funny. He was like 27 playing a 16 year old in this movie, though. So they gave him like most of the very 90s lines. (laughs) That is one thing about this movie. The, there's a lot of 90s stuff in here. The movie actually aged really well, except for some of that kind of like grunge stuff. And the last little pre-production thing I want to say is the special effects were done by Steve Johnson's special effects company. And huge and famous and he was actually in charge on this movie but they did nightmare on elm street they did uh, that vampire movie innocent blood the original fright night ghostbusters i saw an interview with them for this movie and he was really proud of the abyss at that time he's like i made all the aliens in the movie and all that so i mean this guy <laughs> top-notch special effects and they had to do some really early like on-screen computer graphics stuff and the trickster looked awesome. Let's, let's be honest there. But he was the special effects and like the makeup. Okay. So he did it all. Not him by himself, but his company. But he was in charge and, and on set. Okay. I said a little early, but in my notes, I had mentioned about John Flynn saying that Edward Furlong couldn't act. And he basically got to slap him into action all day. And I, I thought it was really funny reading that from him in an interview because this guy directed Steven Seagal before this. <laughs> and he's saying that about Edward Furlong. So, <laughs> oh. And the last random other fact to add, I guess, really, is the trickster wasn't in the movie originally. Oh, really? And I'm just going to go ahead and say this now. He's one of the better parts of the movie, but I almost feel like I would have liked the movie better if the trickster wasn't in it. Or used more sparingly. It's cool by the end of the movie, but if the end of the movie, if the little twist doesn't happen. Yeah. 
And this movie, this might be one that a lot of you haven't seen, and it's probably harder to find nowadays. So I'll try to explain it in some detail. And there is spoilers in here, obviously, but this might be one of them that you can find on YouTube where they've like reversed it or something, you know, (laughs) possibly. But we open up the movie by cutting between a suburban home, someone being rolled through an ER, a car crash and someone sleeping in bed. Right. And it's just kind of cutting in between these scenes as the opening credits roll. And we see our star, Michael, was in a bad car accident, basically, where his mom didn't make it. He was a young child, and his knee got just completely busted and and popped out, right? Which he has a limp for the rest of the movie. And I feel like that's really only there, one, to make him seem like more of an outsider, and two, for one plot point when when we get to it. (laughs) And, And something I do want to point out, you see a German shepherd randomly run up in the front yard to the front door of the house, okay? At the very opening credit scene. And just... Keep that in your mind till later, because it's, it's going to undo a bunch of stuff in your head. At least it does in mine. But we see Michael wake up from this nightmare by his buddy Kyle calling him on the phone. But by phone, I mean his room is covered in horror movie posters and like fucking Alice Cooper posters and shit, right? Don't forget the Aerosmith. There's Aerosmith posters in everyone's fucking room in this movie. <laughs> right, because this was shortly after he had done that Aerosmith video. Exactly. So they made sure they threw that in there for some subliminal advertising, I guess. (laughs) But not only does he have like all these horror movie and metal posters and Aerosmith posters, but if you look in his room, he's got this badass like stereo system with speakers everywhere and this awesome gaming chair and a TV that he's got a computer, which this is 1994. Computers were not very common then, especially for a teenager to have one. And he's got a screen and you can see Igor pop up on it like a computer graphic and it talks to him and it's his personal assistant. It's his Siri. It's his Alexa. It's his Google robot. That shit was pure science fiction back then, but he can talk to it. He can place phone calls and it's, it's actually T Ryder Smith doing the voice of Igor. They had him do four impersonations of different celebrities just randomly. Right. I don't know if he got to choose them or if the studio did. And they picked one, and that was Igor's voice, and that's him doing Boris Karloff. Ah. So that way it didn't sound like Trickster, but it sounded, you know, kind of spooky. But like I said, Kyle's calling, and I think it's even saying, Kyle's calling, you know, or whatever. And uh, Michael answers, and Kyle's telling him about this frightening state-of-the-art interactive video game called Brain Scan that he saw in the current issue of Fango magazine, which Fangoria, of course. And I just want to say right here, Part of why this movie, I like it so much, is probably a lot of the reasons why I like Fright Night. Fright Night's a better movie, in my opinion, but I could identify with these kids, just like I could identify with Charlie and Evil Ed in Fright Night, you know, because these are the horror nerds that are kind of slightly the outcast in school, and they don't listen to the current pop music, and they're just super big into their horror stuff. And it was like, as a kid, it was cool to see that on, on the TV. But I probably had the Fangoria magazine issue that they're talking about because they used a real issue. It just didn't actually have a brain scan ad in real life, (laughs) which I don't know if I'd want to try it or not. But while he's Michael's hearing about this game from Kyle, he's like, you know, I've played it before. Yeah, none of this stuff scares me. Meanwhile, he's watching Kimberly, the girl next door from his window to her window change. Like a, like a creep. (laughs) And he starts recording her with his camera and reroutes it to this TV so he can watch it. And touch himself in an inappropriate manner. (sighs) You were waiting on it to happen, but it didn't quite happen. (laughs) You know, it did, man. (laughs) It's fun on screen. He gets off the phone with Kyle and he calls Kimberly's phone and she answers and he watches her answer. He doesn't say anything and hangs up. 
And then she looks at the window, smiling like she knows it was him, right? Yeah. And that seemed that maybe that's why I had a crush on her, right? Like in the because this is ninety four, I was like twelve. That was probably the first or second set of boobs I ever saw on TV. <laughs> it was probably her and PJ Souls, man. That's probably that's probably the only boobs I'd seen by nineteen ninety four. But Michael grabs his issue of Fangoria and he calls the number on the brain scan ad. Dial 1-800-555-FEAR. He hears what he thinks is an answering machine start talking to him until the voice responds to him. This is the trickster's voice we find out later. And basically asks for the sales pitch. And he's told about how interactive and terrifying the game is. And, and just like to Kyle, Michael's saying he's heard it all and he wants to know what the game's about. And the voice tells him that it reads his subconscious and goes from there. And then he's like, whatever, R2-D2, because he's like making fun of the guy, like Star Wars reference. And he sits in his chair, which I think a lot of people think is a VR chair, but it's just like a comfy lean back gaming chair because this is not a VR game. We're not in lawnmower man territory here. <laughs> and he's somehow zapped by something, right, which it's like reading his subconscious. We'll get to that. I'm assuming it's like a sound wave thing just because of the way the game works. Yeah. But the voice tells him that it's chosen the game Death by Design for him, and the first installment will arrive soon. And the call ends, and he tries to call the number back, and he gets a busy signal. The next day, we see Michael and Kyle in school, and we see that they have a horror club, and they're watching a horror film until they're busted by the principal. And the principal makes Michael come to his office, and he says that the enrichment hour is for education, and that is not education. And he asks for the title of the movie, and Michael says, Death, Death, Death. Oh, Lord. And basically, Michael gets the these films will make you do bad things speech. And Michael just says they're just there for escaping reality. And then the principal has some interesting conversation with him about marijuana cigarettes. Pornos causing boners that lead to rape or something. It's <laughs> fucking awkward in 90s as hell. And uh, I don't even remember his smart ass response. He's like, boners don't rape people. People rape people. And I, I don't. <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? And uh, basically, the horror club ends up getting banned unless the principal approves of the movie or game before Michael presents it, which would probably never happen. Yeah. So we see Michael heading home from school and he sees a, a car wreck on the side of the road and he starts having flashbacks of, of his wreck, understandably. And we're introduced to Detective Hayden here, who basically tells him to fuck off, but politely. <laughs> but when he gets home, he finds his copy of Brain Scan and he has a voicemail from his dad saying he's going to be gone longer than he thought he would be and that he loves him. So that explains why he has this nice house and all this equipment. Is his, He does live with his dad. His dad's just not home, right? So now we can have a movie. So his dad's job might as well be a MacGuffin at this point. Yeah. But even with the big house, he does have his own basically pad up in the attic because he's got like his kitchenette, his fucking refrigerator and everything. <laughs> His refrigerator with a giant Alice Cooper poster on the or cut out <laughs> yes. on the side. A little bit on the nose with the horror stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, I can't say anything. I have like Misfits posters and shit probably in the 90s in my room. <laughs> but uh, later that night, we see that Kimberly next door is having this giant fucking party at her house. And Michael plugs the game in to the, to the CD-ROM drive because it is an interactive CD-ROM after all, right? <laughs> Which they make it very clear to say that. <laughs> Oh, but it's 94, man. They acted like it. I mean, to me, it's like Night Trap, right? It's supposed to be like he's got Night Trap because they made a really big deal about the Sega CD games being interactive discs, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, at that time, that basically implied that it had like actual movie footage on it, which nowadays is just so 
digitalized and pixelated when you see it. You're like, how did people play this shit? But it might as well have been 4K in the 90s when you're playing it, man. Dude, this was 94. This is when you had Penthouse releasing quote-unquote games on the 3DO. It was groundbreaking technology. <laughs> I didn't have 3DS, so. Nobody did. They were $800. <laughs> I know. And the Atari Jaguar, that thing was so expensive, too. I went from the Atari 2600 to a Nintendo to a Sega Genesis with the, you know, you got to add the Sega CD and the 32X and stuff on there <laughs> to the PlayStation. But anyways, he has Igor dial into the brain scan service. This is the good old days when you actually had to call a number <laughs> to connect your computer to a server so that you could play the game online. And he puts his phone on do not disturb mode. And we see Kim in her bedroom and she calls him and she's looking at the window smiling. He doesn't answer. She looks bummed out. She can't get a hold of him. And her super hipster nineties friend comes in and tells her to come downstairs. Right. She'll, she'll pop back up later. I don't even remember her name at this point. Oh, forgettable side character. <laughs> Chick. <laughs> is she the one at the end that talks to Kyle? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, that seems very memorable. But the game starts and it's narrated by who we find out later is, is Trickster. He's accredited as the Trickster in the credits, but he's never actually called the Trickster in the movie. But he tells Michael that he's going to play the game through the eyes of a killer and he has to control the actions and kill whoever's objective is with no witnesses and a specified time frame. And there's three installments after this to go through, right? So cue the nineties, enter the video game montage, right? With the tunnel and the circle <laughs> spinning. <laughs> and we see a POV of a killer going through a yard into a house, into a kitchen and grabbing a knife. Hmm. Where have I seen this? <laughs> where could this inspiration be pulled from? Halloween, that's it. But anyways, <laughs> the trickster is like giving him like the tutorial. Like this is the tutorial level, right? He's like, go through the gate, enter the house, grab a weapon. You know, so he's getting instructions from the trickster. Stab the fuck out of that guy. <laughs> yeah. Basically, he goes into a room because this house is empty except for one guy and his cat that doesn't know what the fuck's going on. And he brutally stabs a man to death in his bed. And the killer takes a trophy. More like a foot with a tattoo <laughs> on it, right? It doesn't take a fucking ring. He takes a whole foot. Well, Michael logs out of the game with 10 minutes to spare, and he's like covered in sweat, thirsty, hungry, just like hammering that milk next to him and that hungry man that he heated up, you know, however, 40 minutes ago or whatever it was. And, and he's just talking about how insane the game was, right? So we immediately cut to him walking home from school with Kyle, and he's just telling Kyle how fucking awesome this game was. And Kyle's like, I knew it would blow your mind. And Kyle really wants to borrow the game because maybe it's expensive. I don't know. Technically, video games were really expensive back then. Oh, hell yeah. But I didn't see Michael give an, an address, a credit card number, a <laughs> number. He just showed up. But Kyle can't get this game for some reason. He really wants to borrow it from Michael. And he lets him know that he can't borrow it until he's played it some more. And they're passed by a racing squad car, right? Like, it just flies past them. And... Eventually, Michael ends up at home and tries to play the game again, but it won't let him. But then he sees Kimberly pull up in her car next door out his window, and he goes over there and knocks on the door to, to talk to her. And her parents are really weirded out by Michael, and they let him in. And you're waiting on Kimberly to come down. And the parents turn on the news, and you can see that there was a brutal murder in town on the news. And Michael realizes that it's the murder from his game, the body, the room, everything. Yeah. And he freaks the fuck out, understandably, and leaves without seeing Kimberly. But Michael runs home, turns on the news, 
is 100% certain at this point it's the same room where he murdered somebody in the video game, catches the address, and runs to the scene. Detective Hayden spots him again and sends him home once again and gets on to him for being on the wrong side of the police tape. And he remembers meeting him before. Yeah. So Michael goes home and he remembers the voice in the game, the trickster, telling him to put the foot in a safe place. Which is apparently his freezer on top of his Swanson mac and cheese. Of course. He tries to find out some information on the fear number. You hear him talking to the operator because that was a thing you could do back then. And I'm assuming it's because he kept getting a busy signal, like when he tried to replay the game. And the operators tell him that number does not exist. So that's all kind of odd until you get to the end. Like a lot of this movie, like I watched it twice in the past two days. And and when I wasn't taking notes, like even though I had seen it before, it, it had been a while. A lot of it really makes sense and is not out of place. Like once you once you get to the end or on a second viewing. Okay. But after he gets off the phone with the operator, he receives a call and the game turns on and Trickster comes out of the screen and the effects were actually pretty detailed and really cool looking for the time. And I I honestly feel like they aged well because you kind of see like the face pop out. That was the cheesiest looking part. Like it like bubbles out. But the way that it like shoots down and makes like the muscle system and the arteries and makes his body and it does it really quick. And it's kind of cool looking most of the rest of the time. It's got this prism effect, like when you spin a CD in the light, when he appears and leaves. And that that was a really nice touch, too. But this one time you see it, like, form his body, I guess, because it's the first time he came out. But Michael's trying to figure out what in the hell is going on while Trickster's dissing his music taste and just throwing CDs everywhere. And then he pops in his favorite CD that he doesn't leave home without, which was a Primus album. (laughs) And he starts, like, (laughs) dancing all over the room. And Michael flips out and turns off the tunes. And Trickster lets him know that what he did was a work of art. And Michael says that it was not supposed to be real. Real, unreal, what's the difference? So long as you don't get caught. Long story short, Trickster is a big fan of Michael's, and he can't wait to see what he does on disc two. And he tells Michael that he has to play disc two because there was a witness, and he has to take care of the witness. He says there was actually two witnesses, him and one other. But he says that he would never tell on Michael, and he goes over all the torture techniques that he could withstand for him. Electrocution, having his fingers broken one by one, having his eyes gouged out. And, and we're seeing him do these things to himself to kind of let us know that he's invincible, basically, right? I do want to point out in this scene, when we're introduced to Kyle earlier when they're walking, he's got a Freddy Krueger t-shirt on. And this scene you're talking about right here, when he does the finger thing, when it got to that part of the movie, I'm like, somebody's a Freddy fit because this <laughs> this feels like it. And fucking effects dude working on one of the Nightmare on Elm right. Streets, whichever one is that I didn't know that shit. So that all kind of clicks. But did you get a Freddy vibe when he's going through all that shit? I kind of get it's a mix between like. That movie Drop Dead Fred and then Little Monsters. I'm so glad you said Little <laughs> Monsters, dude. I was going to save it for the end. But yes, dude, I, their, their, their interaction together feels so much like a weird version of Little Monsters. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, basically we just see that Trickster can withstand a lot of things, but he lets him know that he does have one weakness. But no country western music, please. Every man has his limits. But Trickster lets him know that he is his friend and he will help him, but he'll only help him if he plays all four discs, right? Because Michael is really opposed to playing this again, because even though he's a horror fan, he doesn't want somebody to get murdered, which, you know, 90s, this is probably still Satanic Panic era right there. People automatically assumed if you liked horror movies, you, you were okay with killing people. So I, I remember growing yeah. up through all that. So he's just trying to show that, you know, he has a human character and, and he was just playing a game. 
At this point, Michael's just trying to put it all behind him, and he goes to bury the foot in the woods. But while he's digging the hole, a German shepherd comes in and takes the foot out of the bag he has it in and runs off before he can bury it. Michael can't really chase the dog because of his limp, but luckily the dog is nice and returns the foot to him. Really feels like a pointless scene, right? (laughs) Yeah. But Michael eventually gets the foot buried, makes it home, and burns the clothes that he's wearing that night. And then Kyle stops by to see him. And Michael says that he missed school because he has mono and he can't go to school right now. And Kyle can't come in and hang out. And Kyle just wants to borrow the disc from him. Once again, why doesn't he order his own disc? <laughs> it does not appear to require any form of payment except for your soul. I think he's the really poor friend. And so he has to rely on, on his friend's hand-me-downs. <laughs> Maybe. But he's got his lucky charm on, which is magically delicious. Don't forget that. (laughs) I forgot about that shit. But Michael takes a nap, and then he's awakened by Kimberly knocking on the door, and she has his homework for the week. She went and got it from all the teachers for him. And while he's talking to her, he sees police patrolling the neighborhood, and she lets him know that's been going on a lot today. And she also got the mail for him, including disc two for brain scan. She wants to stay, but he blows her off. Gets angry, breaks the disc, and then goes back to bed. I mean, he had a late night of killing people. Tonight, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to rest. <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> but he wakes up to the trickster calling and popping back into his bedroom. And he tells the trickster he can't play, broke the second disc. So trickster asks him, what would he say to the police about all his alibi questions? Like, why did you leave school early that day? Where were you that night? Who saw you that night? Did your father see you? And... He can't answer any of those. He's fucked, basically, right? Yep. So then Trickster shows him that he did not break the disc, and he pulls it out of his jacket. Technically, I saw him break the disc. That's a new <laughs> disc, okay? Let <laughs> me get some technicality there. But Michael threatens to show the game to the police, and Trickster advises against that and basically just vamps out, and then Michael sets up his video camera on his chair to film him playing, which I thought was a cool idea. And he gives a pretty cool speech here. I actually like the speech. He looks at the camera. He says he's like 16. He's scared to death. And he doesn't know what this video is going to show, but if it shows that he's a killer, he guesses this is a confession, right? (laughs) Yeah. We see him jack into the game, and then he wakes up sweating with about seven and a half minutes left on the timer. He checks the recording and sees that as soon as he started the game, he just got up out of the chair and walked off. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Exactly. He doesn't remember anything about the game, so he decides to go check his freezer, okay? (laughs) And inside, he finds Kyle's bloody necklace inside. Oh. The lucky charm from earlier. So then he calls Kyle's house and Detective Hayden answers the phone and Michael immediately hangs up. We know there's caller ID in this world because Igor can see who's calling, right? It's a bad idea. (laughs) The next day, Kimberly comes to see Michael because she knows he's got to be upset because his best friend was murdered. And she shows him a petition that Kyle had people signing to reopen the horror club for him as like an apology for their fight and had Kimberly sign it last and she was supposed to give it. To Michael, right? And Michael really opens up to Kimberly about missing him and being sad and everything. And um, I guess she goes back home because I don't know, that just kind of time lapses. And we see Michael watching the news about the new murder when the trickster appears again behind him. And trickster lets him know that Kyle was not literally a witness. He didn't actually witness the crime, but he knew too much about Michael and he could lead the authorities to Michael. Bullshit right there. <laughs> But he also lets Michael know that Michael left a clue behind on the second disc, and he's going to have to go back in on disc three and get the clue that he left. Damn it. Exactly, right? It's just a rabbit hole. He just keeps getting deeper and deeper. 
But basically, they're having a discussion on whether he actually feels guilt for what he's done or not. And then we hear the doorbell ring, right? Michael goes downstairs to answer the door, and it's Detective Hayden. And he lets him know that his fellow students didn't have very nice things to say about him. Michael <laughs> denies knowing anything about the murder or placing the call to Kyle's house. So he's lying to the detective right off the bat. And Hayden tells him he better not find out that he's anything more than a class misfit. But as Hayden's leaving with his partner, he lets his partner know that he noticed there was fresh ashes in the fireplace and it's the summer. So he shouldn't have been burning the fire. So there's something on there. He's a good detective, right? Yeah. Michael goes back upstairs and he finds his room trashed and basically tricks straight everything in the house. I'm talking he's eating a whole raw turkey. He's got a plate of like cut up bananas, apples and hot dogs with like honey mustard on them. It's disgusting. <laughs> and he's just eating it while talking. And I don't know. It just it plays so well into the character. So apparently he got into his stash first. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe Trickster is just always in a state of being high with the munchies. <laughs> I would believe that. <laughs> but Trickster lets him know that his time is limited to cover his tracks. And just to anger Michael, he shows Michael the local newspaper, which we saw earlier. Kimberly had photos in it. So she obviously worked for the paper in some way. And I'm assuming it's the high school paper. And yeah. shows that basically... There's a segment in there where everything he spilled his guts about to her is in the paper, right? And it just really pisses him off and throws him over the edge, right? And Michael's still not really wanting to play the game, though, even though he's angry. And Trickster takes his hand and cuts his hand open with his fingernail, and the blood drips out and turns into the third disc, which is red. I really like that. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And Trickster reminds him that he's his friend, and he's there to help him. And he says that all he has to do is go in and grab the clue. He doesn't have to kill anybody on disc three. And Michael agrees to be the trickster's friend as long as he tells him what the clue is. And the trickster lets him know that it's a footprint and he'll only remember where the footprint is when he jacks into the game. And that's why he can't just go do it in the real world. Right. And it's kind of dumb because we know with forensics, they can figure out by shoes and stuff. But but Michael yeah. has like an epiphany at this point that his limp would be apparent in the in the foot tracks. Right. Could be could be a zombie. <laughs> it could be a zombie. <laughs> so we randomly cut to Michael and Kimberly making out with her in like a nighty in bed. Right. Which that's the scene that's got to be kind of awkward because she's 24 and he's 16. Right. Yeah. But, now that now that you've told me that that seems very <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> for her, probably not for him. At the time. <laughs> but. <laughs> But Kimberly then turns into the man that Michael killed on disc one and Michael wakes up screaming. So it was a nightmare. We then see the real Kimberly knocking on Michael's door while Detective Hayden is watching from like his car, like he's having a stakeout. And Michael ignores her for a while and then throws his copy of the paper out the window at Kimberly in the lawn. And she's trying to yell and apologize for his quote being in the paper. She says that her friend that we saw earlier in the movie is the one that did it right. But you still told the secret. Come on. Come on, you're responsible here. And Michael just cranks up his shitty, you know, whatever it's supposed to be music, just ignore, right? Yeah. And um, it's not good. Meanwhile, Detective Hayden, under the cover of all this noise, sneaks into Michael's back door and takes some ashes out of the fireplace and puts them in a baggie, right? Yeah, that motherfucker did not have a warrant. I was about to bring that up. Did he have a warrant? We don't know. He didn't present a warrant, but yeah, I'm, I'm calling that breaking and entering. Well, at least entering. <laughs> I think you can go in and do that with probable calls, though. I'll give you that. It was the 90s. Also, there's a lot less rights for people back then. So, 
But after Detective Hayden gathers the evidence legally or illegally, we cut to night and we see Hayden talking to the neighborhood watch going on patrol. And he tells them that he better not see any of them with a gun, not even a squirt gun, or he's arresting them. Okay. We know they're out there drinking. They're bringing public justice. Okay. Because we see that in a little bit. We seem just chugging beer in the woods with shotguns. They're ready to rock. Yep. But we cut to Michael in his room and he basically does a here goes nothing and pops in his blood made disc three and he appears outside of Kyle's house and he finds a tarp over the soil outside of Kyle's bedroom window uh, with the footprints under him. So forensic has not taken a cast of the print yet. Michael starts messing the tracks up with his hand and we cut to the forensics guy in the bedroom dusting for prints and we can see blood. If you're paying attention, there's blood splatter like all over the wall on the bed and because I guess he murdered Kyle in his room. Yeah, it doesn't zoom in on it. It's just in the background. But the phone starts ringing in Kyle's room and the forensics guy answers it and it's Trickster's voice telling the cop that he believes there's an intruder in his yard. So he opens up the window as Michael makes a run for it and the cop makes chase. Michael manages to make it to the woods and hide and he's able to evade the entire drunken militia, the forensics guy, and a cop that looked like he was about to take a piss on him in the bushes at some point. <laughs> and just as Michael's making a clean break from all these people he's evaded, out there in the woods, he's jumped by the school principal when he runs into an alley from the tree line. And the school principal's just, yeah, I got Michael, you know, and he's trying to radio for help, but he doesn't know how the fucking walkie-talkie works, right? And he can't get a <laughs> signal out. Hayden's like, just hit the damn button. And he starts wrestling Michael, and he accidentally bumps into basically some scaffolding, right? Because it's a construction site. Yeah. And like a ton of bricks falls down on the principal, instantly killing him. Michael manages to hide in the basement of this under construction house as the militia comes by and the dog from the woods earlier runs down and sniffs him out. However, they're friends now, so he doesn't bark at him. I guess that wood scene wasn't pointless after all. <laughs> we could have just left the dog out of this. I'm, I'm going to say we could have left the dog out later at the end. <laughs> but just as someone goes to check on the dog, Hayden's partner walks up with his gun drawn for some damn reason saying I'm the police. And one of the militia members quick shoots him with a shotgun, killing him, right? (laughs) And I'm assuming, I mean, it's really dumb when you see him just walking with his gun drawn, but it might be because Hayden said, if I see any of you with a gun, I'm going to arrest you. And maybe he was coming to arrest him because they had their guns out, right? That is exactly how I took it. It's still really bizarre looking. That's because we know it was not a safe move. It got him killed. We're (laughs) rational. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And I really like Hayden's line in here. I didn't put it in my notes, but when he, when he, makes it on the scene and finds his partner dead. He looks at all the militia members and he's like, which one of you wants to call his family? Right. (laughs) I really like that line. But Michael narrowly escapes and he ends up getting caught by a cop as he enters his neighborhood. And the cop tells him, you need to get your ass inside, son. They just shot the killer. Right. (laughs) Because they all think they got the killer at this point. And Kimberly sees Michael in his lawn on his way into his own house. I said it that way for a reason. I'll get back to that. Okay. Michael makes it back to his room with a minute and a half to spare on the counter. And Trickster tells him that he was brilliant and there was blood all over the neighborhood. And he did what he needed to do. And Michael's mad because he wasn't supposed to kill anybody. He didn't kill anybody, really. The principal knocked the bricks on his own self and the drunk militia shot the cop. But he still I could see you having it on your conscience still, right? Yeah. But Trickster now lets him know that there was another witness that saw him tonight, and he knows who she is, and he's going to have to take care of her on disc four, or part four, I don't remember how he refers to it. And by she, Trickster means Kimberly was the witness. 
I guess because she saw him in his own yard in front of his own house that night that happened. I don't fucking know. Hey, he could have been night gardening. <laughs> exactly. Could have been checking the mail late. Apparently sleeps all day. He's got mono, right? <laughs> but the trickster says he's going to have to take care of her in part four. At this point, we're going into the third act of the film. Okay. Disc four, third act. <laughs> okay. And God, do you remember having to change discs for video games? Yes. I, I got remember whole- Final Fantasy VII being like four disc, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but we see that Hayden has proof that the victim's remains were found in those ashes, and he also has proof that Michael called Kyle's house that night, right? We see that Michael's asleep in his gaming chair, and the trickster's talking to him through the TV, trying to wake him up, and then he pops out into the room, and he tells him that he has to choose his life or Kimberly's life. Make your choice. But he's basically telling the trickster that he loves her, and... The trickster's like, you would love any girl that was next door that you were stalking and filming, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're fucking 16, man. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He's got the 24-year-old putting the peep show on across the yard. But that night, we see Kimberly try to contact Michael again, and he avoids her because he knows what's going to happen, and we see her go to bed. Michael puts in disc four, and we see him like do the jack into the matrix thing, right? And then we see him limp his ass across the yard and break into her house. And then he grabs a pair of shears off the table and heads towards her bedroom. We can see Hayden is skulking around outside, looking through the bushes at the house. Very much like a Dr. Loomis from Halloween. (laughs) I can't help but feel like that scene (laughs) and the getting the knife scene were inspired by Halloween. And even when the forensics guy answers the phone call and I can see the blood all over the wall and ceiling, it makes me think of Nightmare on Elm Street when they call, was it Nancy calling her dad, I think? And he's in... Johnny Depp's room. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know. I just felt like some other things in here. A gentle sprinkling. Yeah. yeah, And that could have been the special effects guy doing it. But anyways, Michael makes it into Kimberly's room, locks the door and Trickster's in there with him. And he's trying to goad Michael. And Michael's like, I can't do it. And then he asked the Trickster who he is. I can't believe you still don't know. Michael, I'm you. He then stabs the Trickster. And gouges out his eyes, and then they start to merge, right? Like, they start, like, bonding together. Just like Nightmare 4. Five. <laughs> four, five. No, five. I don't remember, but you know what I'm fucking talking about. You're the nightmare expert. I don't know. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But they start to merge, and Kimberly wakes up just in time to see the trickster, like, dishinge his jaw and swallow Michael. It actually looked pretty cool. And then he falls over and we see Michael pop up from the bed under the bed, like out of her line of sight. And he has the trickster's eyes and his skin complexion slightly fucked up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the trickster skin. I read somewhere online and I couldn't find it again to cite it, but I read a couple of places that she was supposed to see this weird hybrid of the two and they ended up not keeping it. So I don't know yeah. if they shot it and it looked like shit There's not like a lot of behind the scenes stuff you can find on this. And even though my old DVD had a commentary on it, it was the director's son who was the assistant and like got coffee and shit for everybody doing the commentary. And he didn't know a whole lot. He's like, yeah, everybody was great to work with. And uh, my dad like made this movie. (laughs) Exactly. It's not like the the Ghostbusters director and his son who's now taking over the franchise and actually worked on the film. Yeah, that's right. It's also not one of those commentaries where they're watching the movie and talking about it. It's just like a magazine interviewing him over the movie playing. Oh, weird. So it's not even, it's like, so when you shut the scene, blah, 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 that's not happening. (laughs) 
But anyways, he approaches her with the shears and she tells him that she loves him. And we can hear both voices respond to her saying you would do anything to save your life. But it sounds like Michael and Trickster put together. But she lets him know that she really does love him and that she knows that he watches her at night and she watches him too. She even has her own creepy ass stalker photos of him that she's taken from her room, right? Yep, yep. So that's got to be some weird level of, of true love, right? Is that, is that what we're calling this? <laughs> I guess, because it's enough to snap Michael out of it here in a minute. Oh, so I have been in love. Trickster and Michael separate, and Michael tells him that he loses. Trickster says surprise and opens the door, letting Hayden walk in, who calls out Michael and then just fucking starts blasting him, right? Michael wakes up in the chair. From the original night where he put in disc one and Kimberly's party still going on in the background next door. He realizes that he never actually killed anyone. And as he's trying to get his bearings, the game thanks him for playing and explains that it uses reality enhancing signals to hypnotize him, basically. Right. And it says that the studio that made the game was called Scientific Perception Laboratories. But the game even offers him some relaxation techniques in case he's lost his shit. Which he has, because at this point, Michael begins to trash his room, just destroying everything in sight, while you can hear it telling him to put his head in between his legs and breathe deeply. Try these fucking relaxation techniques! He then hears Kyle beating on the door, saying he's been trying to get a hold of him all night, and there's a fucking party going on next door, and they need to go over there. But after Michael's excited to see his best friend alive, Kyle lets Michael know that he's glad he didn't get that brain scan game, because it was on the news... Because it's hypnotic and some kid in Texas had an aneurysm and his eyes exploded. But he says it like he doesn't know, like he heard a rumor, you know? So yeah. Kyle's character is really goofy the way he talks and everything. God, yes, but he is. Michael tells Kyle that he's ready to make his move with Kimberly. And they go next door to the party. And he finds out from Kimberly's friend that Kimberly's upstairs is some dude. This is probably our douchebag O'Neill of the film. We don't get to find <laughs> out. Because when Michael goes up, he's just puking in the bathroom while Kimberly's babysitting him. But I will say right now that Kyle uses one of the greatest pickup lines ever to hit on Kimberly's friend. She's like just blowing him off because he tells her he likes her look. And she's like, really? And he's like, yeah, you look like that chick from that video by that dude. And she like eats it up and she's all over him, which is hilarious because you can tell he's just talking out his ass. But it worked, man. It worked. It's that lucky charm. But anyways, as as Michael finds Kimberly upstairs babysitting Pukey O'Neill, he takes her into another room. It's her bedroom, actually. And he asks her out, like, right? He's like, will you be my girlfriend? And she tells him that she'll think about it. Better than nothing, I guess. Uh. Wouldn't know. And she decides to go check on Taylor. That's the guy. And he sees a box in her room and looks, and it's photos of him. So she likes to stalk him, too. Yeah. Oh, we should make a T-shirt. It's got like a heart on it, and it says, I stalk you. <laughs> this could be like a Valentine's thing. <laughs> I bet you it's on wish.com right now. <laughs> oh, man, I should have kept my trap shut. But the next day, we see Michael show up in the principal's office with a copy of Brain Scan because he'd like the principal to try it out to see if he could have permission to show it to the horror club. Because he wants love to that fuck part. with the principal, right? Yeah, I love that part. However, we see the trickster appear in the chair behind the principal laughing, and he winks at Michael. I want to see that movie, like the one of the principal playing the game. (laughs) (laughs) But credits, the end, movie over. Other than the credits being broken in on by the trickster, as he says, we forgot something, and we see the dog running with the foot through the woods. 
and then he runs through the neighborhood up to Kyle's house, and it's the same shot from the opening scene of the movie. And that whole thing I wish was gone because it's so confusing. Because one, if it's implying that that's the same shot from the beginning, why would the dog already have the foot, right? Because Michael hasn't even heard of the game yet. And maybe it was just they were being lazy and didn't want to reshoot the scene of the dog running up to the house, right? And they're just hoping you forgot in the past hour and 35 minutes. (laughs) But if that was the case, does that mean he did kill somebody that night? And then imagine the rest of it, and now it's going to all come back full circle because of the foot? What I got out of it was that the first disc definitely happened. So he did go kill that guy. And that the rest of it was just a total mind fuck in game and that he didn't go do anything else. And then when he came out, that's our little nod to let us know, oh, no, the shit was real. And you haven't even actually seen the rest of the game. Gotcha. I mean, it's left really open ended, but that that definitely sounds like it could be an accurate interpretation. I don't know, like it would have been interesting to see the movie without Trickster in it. And it just be this kid playing this fucked up game and and finding out about the clues and have to keep going back in and then find out that it was all a hypnotic mind fuck and only the first disc happened. But on the other side of the coin, I really like Trickster. <laughs> it's like one of the cool parts of the movie. And I, I even liked him back in 94, 95, whenever I saw this. I think it still would have been interesting without him, like you said, but I think it actually it really does need a. Uh... A dungeon master, so to speak, to kind of right. guide guide the whole thing, our our narrator, our storyteller. Because it's not like it's a novel where you can you can hear his thoughts as he's going, right? Yeah. I don't remember seeing this back in the day. I can't recall you making me watch it or anything. It felt totally new to me except for the little monsters dynamic, which we already talked about. <laughs> <laughs> I was... I was actually really curious about that because this is one of those movies that when I would go sleep over at any of my friends' houses that I grew up with in my neighborhood on the weekends, I'd always bring over horror movies and I always brought this one over. Like if people hadn't seen it, but I didn't recall ever watching it with you, which I thought was kind of odd. Yeah. And this, if you got it like right after it came out, this would have been like right before both of us you know, you showing it to me and shit, but like trauma and like really tearing off into crazy shit. And maybe this was kind of left behind at that time. Well, you got to think this is 94. This is kind of when horror movies were taking a dive, especially slasher movies, which we talked about on the first episode of the podcast, I think somewhere in that slasher series. And I don't know, it was a refreshing take and it was really cool to see all this video game interaction in that, in it being in a video games ourselves. And yeah, The only thing I'm certain of is that there's a very important lesson to be learned from this movie about violent video games. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And apparently that lesson is that they give you confidence. They make you brave. They make you a nicer person and they make you decide to follow the rules for the change. (laughs) I mean, he was brave. He went over there. He got the girl. We we half got the girl. He asked her out. He'll find out about it later. You know, (laughs) Well, it also shows in all seriousness, don't don't shut yourself in from outside opportunities. You know, that old adage, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. You know, (laughs) maybe maybe he's going to get some, you know, just go over there. Holy crap. She's been watching me jack off through the window. We're going to get married. (laughs) I stalk you. That's going to be a slice by slice T-shirt, guys. But no, this movie. 
like I said, this is when horror movies were kind of taking a dive. And I don't remember if this movie did well. And I don't even know if I could call it a cult following. Anything I could find online, anybody discussing it on a, a YouTube clip or Reddit. I mean, everyone who's seen it has loved it. I just don't think there's that many people that had seen it. And like I said, it had a soon to be very famous screenplay writer and an already famous director make it. And honestly, the horror video game VR thing, I don't think was a shtick yet. I mean, I don't know. This could have influenced some shit in the future. Like, I'd have to look and see when Lawnmower Man was made, which Lawnmower Man, I understand, was a Stephen King book, but that movie deviated so far from the book anyways. So this was really cutting edge, which, you know, like I said, that one guy that barely done anything and said story by, he might have just came up with this generic idea because he played video games. And, I mean, we were playing Night Trap and Double Switch and any digital pictures game we could get our hands on back then. <laughs> and I remember I didn't have a computer at the time of this movie yet, but I remember seeing, like, 11th Hour and stuff like that. And I might be mixing the years up by a couple of years, but I remember seeing these, like, interactive early era survival horror games. And because of this movie, I always want to play it. I did see some references to... There being a um, a video game based from the movie, like based off the movie's version of the game called, I was like Brain Waves or something. It was a slightly different name and it said it came out in Europe. I couldn't find shit on the game. So I don't know huh. if that's a rumor or not. If anybody can find out anything about that and email us, that'd be awesome because I'd be really interested to see if I get it running in like DOS box or something right? <laughs> and try it out. But like Josh and I said, there were several video game and VR horror movies and sci-fi movies that came out after this, whether they were inspired by or not. And some of them were good and a lot of them were shit. And uh, they kind of disappeared for a while. But another one that stuck out to us was Stay Alive from 2006. Yes. Back to the time of Internet cafes, Hollywood's poor attempts at gamer lingo and Mad Cats, Alienware and Logitech everywhere. Let's pour one out for Mad Cats. <laughs> You're right on the Mad Cats, but the Logitech and Alienware being everywhere is still a thing. And Hollywood still has poor attempts at leet speak. Yes, that's why I said we have to pour one out for Mad Cats, because they officially went out of business <laughs> in 2017. <laughs> oh, that is sad. I had so uh, many Mad Cats things. That you'd always make your little brother play with the Mad Cats controller. <laughs> yes. Or Josh when he stayed at my house. <laughs> Why is my guy always turning left? I don't know. You just suck. So this movie is directed by William Brent Bell, and he also directed The Boy 1 and 2, which I've only seen the first one, and I don't care to see the second one. Um, nope. <laughs> I actually was wondering who asked for a sequel to be made when I saw that trailer. Um, the Devil Inside and Where. Now, it was written by Bell and Matthew Peterman. Matthew Peterman also worked with him on The Devil Inside and Where. And that's pretty much it for these guys. Um, there's some other stuff, but those are the notable ones. Out of all of those that I've seen, this is the best one. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but I, I like this movie. I know a lot of people shit on it, but I actually like this movie. <laughs> this is the first episode in the history of the podcast where we did a category or subgenre, and I, I picked Josh's film for him. <laughs> it's never happened before I had been wanting to fit brain scan in somewhere and I thought this would be a cool category and he actually didn't have a movie that he could come up with and this one always kind of stuck out to me so I asked him if he'd do it and he said sure I've always wanted to see it so that's, yeah, that's how we ended up here but this is completely different than how we normally do it 
Yeah, totally green on this one because I do shit about this movie. Um, I do of it. That was it. I hate to do this because it's not a huge cast, but I'm going to go through all these real quick. We got John Foster's Hutch, who's done a crap ton of TV. Nothing that I didn't see him and go, oh, that's that guy from that. Right, right. But there's something interesting about John Foster. It's Ben Foster's brother. And Ben Foster was offered the role and decided to pass it to his little brother. Oh, okay. Could not see him in this role. <laughs> his brother was actually uh, perfect for it. We've got uh, Samari Armstrong as Abigail, who, of course, was in the OC. And fuck it. I'm going to put this in here now. I forgot to note this. The producer on this movie was McGee. So, yes. Famous TV producer. Yeah. Yeah. That shows how a lot of this shit ties together. I always think of him because of Chuck, one of my favorite TV shows of all time, but he's done so many things. Yeah. We got Frankie Muniz <laughs> as Swing, <laughs> who, of course, Malcolm in the Middle, Agent Cody Banks, some of the Sharknado sequels. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, thank God there's the director's cut of this movie because you get to hear him say motherfucker. <laughs> I'm so mad. So I owned the director's cut on DVD. I own the director's cut on DVD, but all my DVDs are in storage. Since I moved and I haven't busted them out yet because we're in the age of streaming and I had to watch the non-director's cut on Amazon Prime and the movie is so much oh, worse with God. the edits. And I'll, I'll get to that as you go. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> no worries, man. We've got Jimmy Simpson as Phineas and he was in Knights of Badassdom. Say what you will. I, I think. Joe Lynch got fucked on that and it could have been a much better movie, but uh, he was also in house of cards. I don't really know the guy. Most of the shit I looked at nothing jumped out to me. He's also really famous for being one of the McDougal's or whatever the fuck on always sunny in Philadelphia, like the crazy inbred yeah. family. <laughs> so, I think he's the main one on that, but he, I, I've seen him play so many different types of characters that I'm actually impressed with his acting range. Now, What's interesting is how he got in the movie. The makers were watching a different movie, watching a movie because they wanted someone they were scouting basically. And they wanted somebody in this movie. So they were watching it and they're like, who's the funny guy? Who's the funny guy who keeps stealing all the scenes? Fuck it. We want him in the movie. Forget what we came here for. Get me him. And that's how he ended up in the movie. (laughs) He can deadpan deliver anything. Yeah, he's he's good in this. And I've seen him play a serious cop in a movie before, too. We've also got uh, Sophia Bush as October. She's in The Hitcher. She was in, like, all of One Tree Hill. (laughs) (laughs) I I recognized her from The Hitcher remake. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is the remake. I guess I need to be clear about that, which I like the original better. I'm sorry. It's just I saw it first and it's always stuck with me. That fucking movie fucked with me seeing that at, like, the age of nine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we have Adam Goldberg as Miller for a little while at least I always remember him from Days of Confused I know he's been a crap ton of other stuff we've got uh, Milo Venomiglia god I hope I said his last name right as Loomis who's was in Cursed and I have to bring that up just because it's funny because Cursed is a movie and uh, everybody knows him from Heroes even Josh (laughs) knows him from Heroes (laughs) I watched this movie And thought he looked kind of familiar. And then when I went to IMDb after the fact and it said it was him, I started the movie over again because it does not (laughs) look like him or sound like him. He's also, I mean, this isn't really our kind of show, but he's most famous nowadays for that show. This is us. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I loved them on Heroes. <laughs> well, the funny thing about you say you didn't recognize them, they did that on purpose. So they put him in the beard, which that was the best he could do, supposedly at the time, which I think that's bullshit. But so they did the beard and they did like the Coke bottle glasses yeah. to try to make him not as easily recognizable. And they said the glasses were so hard for him to wear that he actually had to wear contacts to be able to see <laughs> with the fucking glasses on. I guess 06, this was after Heroes had started. How did he end up with such a bit part in the movie being the star of Heroes, which was a hit at the time? I don't know, man. They, uh, of course, I got all my notes from the commentary, so I have no clue yeah, on yeah. that. So a little bit of not backstory here, but just a little bit of shit before you get into it. So they wanted the game to feel like Fatal Frame and Silent Hill. And to me, it especially the opening, it feels more like the original Alone in the Dark, a little bit of Clock Tower and a little bit of D. I'm so glad you said that. I can see I saw online they said Fatal Frame was the primary influence. And I get that. But I thought a Clock Tower in D and a lot of people on this podcast might know what Clock Tower is. I bet nobody knows what the hell D is. No, nobody knows. awesome <laughs> interactive CD-ROM game on the original PlayStation that Josh and I loved in the 90s, actually. And um, when I was streaming, I tried to stream it, and, and I, I bought it online, and it was some shitty DOSBox version. I couldn't get it running. And now uh, Steam has it. So I'm going to have to re-download it on Steam to give it a run-through. Well, I shit you not, after watching this movie, the next morning I got up and I played through D and I played through Alone in the Dark because nice. I just wanted to. Because Alone in the Dark, you've got the lantern and it just, it, yeah, it, yeah, it really felt like that to me. And maybe that's just because of those games. But um, shot in 25 days, which, you know, sometimes we break that up when we know about it. Shot on location in New Orleans and one is, was one of the last on location productions done before Katrina hit. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, because they're talking about on the commentary, they're like, this isn't here anymore. This isn't here anymore. It's kind of creepy. Of course, I was working down on the Gulf Coast right before that happened. Right. I went back and looked at satellite pictures of where the hotel was that I stayed at on the beach, and it was just the parking lot and a slab of concrete. Fucking weird shit to see, man. The guys who made the movie don't know shit about video games. Okay. They've got a technical advisor on this movie, and maybe I need to blame him, but there's a scene where on the commentary, they talk about the Konami code, and I will get into that when we get to that part of the movie, but I want to bring it up now. The fucking flogging, man. <laughs> <laughs> the way Frankie Muniz got into the movie is he got a hold of the script and basically begged to be in the movie until okay. they gave him. Like you brought up, the theatrical version versus the unrated version. And, you know, we see this all the time where, oh, there's more gore, there's more cussing, there's TNA. That is not the case with this movie. There is some of that, but there's 15 minutes of right. additional footage in this. And there is plot points that are, there's scenes that are moved around. There's a couple right. of scenes in the director's cut that don't even exist. Like with characters you don't see. That don't, right. <laughs> <laughs> fucking nuts movie censorship.com does a complete breakdown comparing the two versions that if I printed it out, it would probably be 30 pages long. So anybody wants to go into that, have at it. Now the movie was shot for an R rating. It's what they talk about on the commentary and they don't really go into detail about how it went from R to PG 13, but there's shit that they didn't have. They didn't get to film the way they wanted to because it changed. And it sounds like it changed during production. Well, this was 06, so this is right in the heyday of the PG-13 horror bullshit that I always bitch about. Right. <laughs> they were on that PG-13 money instead of that R money, and they were hoping to cash in on the whole <laughs> video game thing. Exactly. So, speaking of video games, we open with a shot 
with a flash of a bloody eye and then an in-game swooping down shot to this mansion. We see a character that's kind of exploring briefly and seeing some creepy reflections and shit. And then all of a sudden, these little dead girls come out from everywhere. And we see the Countess. I'm going to call her the Countess until they call her Bathory. That's how I did my notes. So he sees the Countess. And the character in the game runs into a room and there's fucking blood everywhere and a girl strung up from the ceiling and ripped open and shit. And it's like, fuck, wrong room. Runs back out <laughs> into the hallway. Bam. There's the countess. She pushes him off the balcony and he's graphically hung by a chain. Game over. Credits. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Some people would have preferred it that way. I am not one of them. <laughs> So we cut to Loomis, who's obviously playing this video game. And if you look in the mirror behind him right then, you see a face in the mirror and he gets on the phone and he calls his buddy Hutch. He's like, dude, I just played this fucking game called Stay Alive. It's the sickest shit since Fatal Frame, which <laughs> we'll get into that later. And uh, he's like, yeah, you should come over and, and play it with me. He's like, oh, I can't right now. And he's like, fine, whatever. He gets off the phone and he starts hearing this banging upstairs and he goes upstairs to see what it is. And upon further investigation, he finds banging Two upstairs people banging. yeah exactly <laughs> and uh so this dude his roommates are just going at it and dude has a pig mask on and they never go back to that <laughs> it's like in that movie smoke and aces when they go to see jason bateman for whatever reason he has a bunny mask on and like cocaine on his lip and you're like what's happening he's in his underwear oh, i love I it not being explained <laughs> oh but through conversation he tells me he's like Man, y'all, I saw y'all in the game. Y'all got it good. And uh, they're like, oh, man, but we haven't played for hours. Like, they're already setting this up, like, right <laughs> out the gate. So Loomis goes to bed. He has this fucked up nightmare, and he wakes up. And just like any video game horror movie, you have some milk after an intense session, just like you just talked about. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> but anyways, he goes for a glass of milk. And while he's walking to the kitchen shit, we're seeing some shadows moving around and weird reflections and shit. And he starts hearing his controller rumbling because haptic feedback was all the rage back in those. <laughs> they still do that shit, dude. I try I to play my Nintendo Switch in bed with my wife asleep, and they're just like <laughs> in my hand, and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> so eventually, a shadow figure manifests in front of him. He freaks out. He throws his glass of milk at it, and he goes running upstairs. And he opens up the upstairs bedroom again, and there's his roommates, hacked and drained, just like in the game. Exactly. Chain wraps around his neck and he's flung off the balcony. Dead as shit. Title card. I'm going to say it now. There's so much about this movie that's like, my God, what could have been? Because there's so <laughs> much good ideas in this. But anyways, it's a fun movie, though. It's one of those fun turn your brain off horror movies. Yes. And if you've only seen the rated version, I feel sorry for you. Yeah, I do want to say really quick. When Loomis is talking to Hutch on the phone, he says that it's like a beta unreleased version of the game. Yeah. And it always makes me think, do you remember that game? I don't remember how I got a pirated copy of it, but it was called Thrill Kill. And it was a PlayStation fighting game that was banned before it was released. They hadn't even completed it yet. And I had the game. It was a fighting game that took place in hell. And it was so graphic. And like there was like 10 serial killers. Do you remember that shit? I was like, I'd always break it out. But I had a burned copy. I don't even remember how I got it. <laughs> this sounds familiar. Did you? Was it one of those times where you like found it in a case with something else or some shit? No, I don't remember how I got it. I had to have found it on like fucking IRC or something and downloaded it. Because I had mm. a modded PlayStation 1. Remember? 
Like I had a yeah. mod chip in it so I could play uh, Japanese games and stuff. But I always think about that because that was my like not out yet horror game <laughs> that I got to play. So the next day, we see that Hutch is in big trouble at work. I hired you for one reason, okay, and one reason only. Now the walkthrough says I dumped the ammo on the boss dies. I'm 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 sorry. We're not still talking about Silent Hill Four, are we? Now this Konami code thing. So on the commentary, when this scene's going on, they're like, "Now you know he makes a reference to Silent Hill Four, but later on we're going to see somebody in the shirt with the code, and uh, that code's actually from Silent Hill One. The Konami code is does shit on Silent Hill One. It was badass in Contra." Yeah, it goes all the way back to Gradius and Contra and about 30 other games, but not the first Silent Hill. These guys are liars. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. But more importantly, we know from this interaction that his boss Miller is obviously a gamer, too. But he's like a noob. He needs his hand held. (laughs) Well, that and he's like the, uh, you know, the mid 30s. I'm still cool guy. (laughs) Are you talking about me right now? I'm talking about both of us. <laughs> We're in our late 30s, son. I'm pretty sure neither one of us stays at work after hours to do blow and what and play video games. So then Hutch gets the call about Loomis. We cut straight to the funeral and we're introduced to Abigail, who thinks Hutch is a ghost because she takes his picture, Fatal Frame style. And they did get a camera that looks like the camera from Fatal Frame. They did go that far. And uh, she quickly gives up her number and, uh, you know, just in case you want to talk. And uh, <laughs> Loomis's little sister comes up to Hutch and is like, oh, here's some video game stuff. He'd want you to have it. Like, it's clunky. It is clunky. I can see that happening, though. Yeah. Because you find out that he was like their foster kid, right? Like, so Loomis was like his foster brother. and They grew up playing games together. So they yes. want him to have it, right? Yes. So off to the Internet Cafe for that scene. And uh, we get to meet October and Finn. We quickly learn that they're brother and sister, and Finn is the insensitive joker. Tell you, bro, first your parents, now this. God dealt the straws and gave you a short one, man. And uh, then Finn's, like, kind of digging through the bag um, (laughs) that has, like, the game stuff in it and everything, and he finds Loomis's lighter. And he goes to light it, and Hutch has this crazy, fiery flashback. And while this is going on, October is going through the photo album from the book that shows them as kids and stuff. And we see the picture of young Hutch, and we see it in the flashback. So that way we kind of put two and two together that this was him in a fire and fire bad for him. And uh, the PlayStation button logos on the lighter was originally supposed to be a Triforce, and they said they were unable to get that done. And so they didn't have the money to pay Nintendo. <laughs> That's cool. In the rated version, you don't get to see that it's a PlayStation lighter. Oh, yeah, because it's not engraved. Or, or did they just not show it? It just shows him light it in his hand. It doesn't show him look at the lighter. Okay. Because I realized that. That and there's a cocaine scene that's really important <laughs> that I noticed was missing. Those were the worst ones. But <laughs> So, uh, still digging through this stuff, Finn finds the game. He says, yeah, that Loomis was beta testing it. And Finn's like, oh, yeah, I used to do that. It's like eating the beef. It's awesome at first that it's goddamn monotonous. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the rated version, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, because he specifically states that Loomis actually worked for a game company, right? Like as their tester, because that used to be a thing. And now video game companies make you pay $60 to test their games for them. Yeah. And then you find all the bugs and then pay for quote-unquote, more content to get it fucking patched. (laughs) 
fuck early access. That's the point to be had here. So we, we end up cutting to Hutch back at home and he's washing his crystal glassware. I mean, his beer pong cups. <laughs> yeah, the <were> silo cups. <laughs> and uh, he hears a noise down the hall and there's a scary sight at the door. <laughs> I'd be so freaked out if he was at my door too, man. I know, right? Little um, fucking goblin. So it's fucking swink. <laughs> and he's the first to arrive for the land party. And this is this whole part's chopped to shit in uh, the rated cut yeah. from what I understand. And uh, the rest of the group shows up, including Abigail. And there's this fairly long interaction between her and Hutch about her being on the toilet, and not having toilet paper. And all that was cut. And, you know, they got to make an unreal tournament fucking name drop there. But uh, anyways. Which it makes sense when you find out where she lives, why she immediately had to go to the bathroom when she got yes. there. Do you know she's wearing a wig the entire movie? I can see that. But that's that's one of the better done wigs, especially when she's <laughs> hanging upside down later on in the movie. But anyways, so we see that Miller's going to be joining in from the office. He's the guy who stays late, gets blowed out, and uh, plays a video game. Does not do blow on the rated version. And it makes zero <laughs> sense when you see him playing and he's like shaking. He's like, God damn, I'm ready. And it's like, you skipped him doing the blow. <laughs> so they get the game up and running and it seems to be frozen. And Abigail, the quote unquote non-gamer says that, well, maybe they should read this poem that's on screen like together. And there's like this whole thing about that's next gen shit. No game does that. Like you're saying, like in the other movie, like shit's all voice controlled now. Damn it. I know. I know. And that was in 94. But basically they say, shut up, noob. Right. That's, that's what comes out. <laughs> and then it fucking works. Exactly. Blows all their minds. And they read the creepy ass prayer, which is come to me clouds. May you rise as an evil storm born to rip them open. Let the cover of night bear witness and destroy those who resist. So they shall harm me. Not let the blood of many cleanse me preserve beauty. Eternal. I pray to you. Thank God. It wasn't in Latin. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to say we might need to have a meeting about this. We need to be careful about saying rituals on air. We've been doing that a lot. recently, (laughs) Not knowing if they actually come from something or not. Where's that one that makes your dick bigger? I need that one. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) So as soon as they finish saying the prayer, you can see a shadow pass behind them all behind the couch. And then Jigsaw tells them they're fucked. If you're listening to this, it means you've made a grave mistake. You spoke the words and soon you will die for it. Then the the voice goes on to tell what I call the localized story of Elizabeth Bathory because she Jesus never <laughs> she never came stateside, y'all. She was in Hungary, and it was hundreds of years before they say <laughs> she was even around, and she was never in Louisiana. I know, right? She, I think we talked about her on like Hostel Two or something. Yes, but basically, she's one of the original vampire origins. Not in this flick, though. Yeah. So we now go in game and there's a lot of cutting back and forth between real world and in game. And I'm not going to bore everybody to death with that. I will bring it up when it's important. So in the game, they learn that they can use roses to protect themselves. And uh, Abigail spots the secret passageway through this wardrobe in a bedroom. Meanwhile, Miller goes off by himself into these tunnels and they're like, quit fucking around down there. You know, there's nothing down there. Well, He's coked out, though, so it seems like a good idea. Yeah. And, of course, the girls show up, the countess shows up, and he gets stabbed right through the throat with these big-ass scissors. we got to call them shears for continuity. Oh, my bad. Shears. 
I don't know if I've ever said cheers in my life other than my fucking brain scan thing there. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) So Miller's out and back in the real world, he immediately thinks that he sees something and the whole group laughs it off because he's like, oh, it's probably somebody just up here trying to fuck with me because he's at his office. And uh, (laughs) Miller hangs his Coke mirror back up. (laughs) (laughs) And as he goes to leave, like down the hall at the elevators, his fucking office door keeps opening. He goes to investigate a second time after locking the door and he hears his controller rumbling and he goes up under the desk and to, he's, he hears the rumbling, doesn't know what it is. He chases it down to under his desk and he picks up his remote just as the countess appears and by Miller. Cause I think we just get a scream cut. Like there's some stuff still in the director's cut. That's like cutaway stuff that, you know, was, was how shit was done in the rated version. I do want to say the Countess is some of the worst shitty CGI you've ever seen in film in this movie, but it's supposed to be the video game character. I know, but honestly, I wish that in the real world, they would have just had the Bathory actress. I see. I like that. They use the video game character. And then when we find her body later on in the movie, we see the difference between her soul in the game character and the real body. I actually like that. That sounds like something I would bitch about. (laughs) To me, it just seems like you would have the video game version haunting you in the video game and then her actual spirit haunting you in the real world. Maybe it's just because the CGI bothered me that bad, but it's very dated CGI. Yeah. And it might have been it might have felt better back then. If I if I had seen it back then, I may see it differently. But I like that you got the video game character in the real world. I mean, I saw this in 06, and I thought it was shitty then, but they tried to make it look realistic, and usually, if you want it to not seem dated, you need to go with stylized art, right? (laughs) Yes, that I'll give you 100%. So the next morning, Hutch arrives at the scene, where he's questioned by Detective Thibodeau, who says he's been chasing down these hacker kids for over a decade. And he is (laughs) the Secret Service agent from the movie Hackers. Yes. And I got a kick out of that, man, because I didn't know he was in the movie. I forgot he was in it until I watched it the other night for the for the podcast. I was like, holy shit. What is it, Agent Gills? Does that sound right? Agent Richard Gill. I suggest you modify your attitude because you are floating and I'm about to flush your ass. Yes. <laughs> He's got great lines in Hackers. How do we cover Hackers on this podcast? I don't know, man. We're going to have to do like an April Fool's thing every year where we cover non-horror movies just for fun. We actually realized we had an April Fool's Day episode and forgot to do an April Fool's this year. Was our, I guess we did it two years in a row, really. We're good at that. We're, we never know <laughs> what date an episode's going to air on until now. Now that I put it in the notes and I say it at the beginning, it, it makes us have to be aware. <laughs> We're doing this for you guys. But no, um, in all seriousness, he's just there investigating, and we do see Miller's body on his desk, stabbed through the neck. Just like in the game. Now, we saw that in the game, but the other guys didn't. We'll get to that later. Actually, we'll get to that now. So back at the the Internet Cafe, Finn finds Miller's body in the game. And just like it was in real life, he's telling the rest of the group, like, we need to go back in. We need to play the game. Everybody's like, no, that's not cool, man. He just fucking died. First Loomis, now this. (laughs) So while Finn's playing the game and they're out on the balcony talking, somebody lights a cigarette and Hutch has another fire flashback. So it's like, hey, this is an important thing. And uh, because it's not being told about us, he's just like, I got a thing about fire. Honestly, they could have left the whole fire bullshit out of the movie. Oh, I know. It's not a big by the time we get to it. It's like, oh, God, whatever. (laughs) 
know but that. The guy that's afraid of fire had to light a fire. I mean, they just could have done without the whole fucking thing. I know. But in game, Finn is using a mirror and he can see a carriage approaching, but the mirror breaks because that's what we've been seeing. We've been seeing broken mirrors and we're going to get into that more later. But he flips around the mirror to the back and it's polished silver and he can still see the carriage coming with it and it doesn't break because it's not glass. Foreshadowing. Um, (laughs) I hate that you have to foreshadow yourself. (laughs) So back out to the conversation on the balcony and Hutch has that. I just put the fucking strings together moment of, oh my God, Loomis died in the game and his friends died (laughs) in the game. And now Miller died right after playing the game. Oh, and this is when we get the weird montage and it's like, the more, you know, (laughs) we needed a, a, a shot with Hutch shirtless and his mirror breaks. And like at the cafe, October sees a girl's face in this mirror and like, just, just little shit like that. And, uh, fucking, uh, Frankie Muniz is in his computer and like the cables start bleeding on him and shit. And like all this, the game getting its tentacles into the real world. Right. I do want to say at that point, when you see shirtless Hutch, you can see that he's severely like burn scarred on his back. Yes, he is. Freddy Krueger all up his back. So Hutch goes back to work, which it's a law office. Like I was, trying to figure this out when I was watching the movie. And then on the commentary, they talked about it. I'm like, Oh, this all makes sense. <laughs> and he's quote unquote hacking into the police database because Miller's the kind of asshole lawyer that would do shit like that. And that's what okay, we're supposed okay. to. Under- yeah. That's what they were saying, how they wanted people to perceive that. And I'm like, now that it's been explained to me, I'm along for the ride. And this is one of the best scenes in the movie to me for creepy shit in the background. And like when it's going through the stacks of the law, the law library. And when it goes past the end of the one, there's something standing there. Like there's really good. That's like after watching shit like hereditary and um, fucking Flanagan films and stuff like that, that we've covered on the podcast, the, all those ideas, if all the ideas in this movie had been executed in the way we've seen them done in other movies, this would have been a fantastic movie. Right, right. Like I said, right now, it's just like a fun movie to turn your mind off, but it, it could have been much better. I do want to say I watched the movie at least two or three times on my DVD when I bought it because I got it on release date. I missed this one in theaters and I don't recall ever seeing any of the background stuff. And I don't know if it's because of the movies we've covered recently, like Gary Astor, for example, or the fact that the video quality was better on the Amazon Prime stream than a 480p DVD was. I, as soon as I noticed the face behind Loomis at the beginning, I was looking the whole movie. And it was awesome how much shit that I saw as I was watching it that I had never noticed before in previous watches. Well, that's cool. So I don't know if it was my brain working differently or the higher video quality or a mixture of the two, but it was really neat. I was like, oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it was happening back then in what could have been a fun way. But as he goes to leave, it's the same thing that happened to Miller. He's over by the elevators, starts to think he sees things, starts hearing a rumbling, goes into Miller's office, reaches down under the desk and finds his vibrator. Oh, no, 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 that's later. Oh, oh. (laughs) And he finds a phone. And as he stands up, Miller's assistant is there. And this is the shot where if you look in between them, the Coke mirror on the wall is cracked. Now this whole thing was gone in the theatrical cut. Oh, Uh, that's why I didn't notice it. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of the things they just dumped. And uh, at least him leaving. 
So with all this figured out from looking at the police reports, because he's like, oh, he was stabbed with these shears. And it's like showing what looks like pictures from the instruction booklet of a game <laughs> for like items right. and shit in the police report. It looks like Bloodborne and shit. <laughs> so with this newfound information, Hutch heads back to the group. Minus Finn. He's not there. And it's like, holy crap. You know, these reports are showing that these people died the same way in the game that they did in real life. And when we had the montage earlier, it shows Finn uh, working on the stereo system in his dope ass Pontiac Fiera. I used to want one of those cars so bad, man. <laughs> so he's like cruising and like stereo blaring and singing along while uh, Hutch is talking to the rest of everybody else. And uh, he sees a dead girl fucking pop up in the road in front of him with the carriage behind her and swerves off the road. Right then is when the group calls Finn to like, hey, here's what we think we figured out. Where'd you leave off in the game? Because he was playing without them. And uh, <laughs> he's like, holy crap, guys, I'm seeing some serious shit. I have not tripped out like this since I ate that high-powered blotter acid at Bible camp, brother. But October calms him down by saying, hey, you didn't die in the game, and we're going to come get you. Stay on the phone with me. And he's like, that's right. I didn't die in the game. So he'll be fine, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Finn hears horses neigh in the distance, and then he's run down by the carriage quite quickly like mid nineties PBS CGI because this shot was never finished. It was never, it wasn't going to be in the movie and they just said, fuck it. We're going to put it in the director's cut. And that's why it looks so bad. I feel like Bathory wasn't finished either though. That's neither <laughs> here nor there. Honestly oh, though, this scene came as a shock to me when I, when I bought the DVD and it had been some years since I saw it. And I was actually surprised when he died again when I was watching it on Amazon Prime because you don't expect him to die there because you haven't seen him die in the game, right? And exactly. then when he dies, you think the rules of, of this reality has broken until you, you know, kind of find out what's going on. Yep. And uh, they do this shot of like his body on the ground and then like people showing up and the police cones around him and shit like that as the group arrives. And uh, of course, October's fucked up. Detective. Agent Hicks fucking <laughs> arrives on scene <laughs> and uh, Hutch is like, fuck it. Like, here's the file that I illegally accessed officer. Let me give you this review it <laughs> and tell me if you think I'm crazy. <laughs> and uh, the detective is kind of like, eh, whatever. Meanwhile, his partner is like, I got to see what's going on with this game. Cause we've seen those partners, a jackass throughout yes. the movie so far. And he's a uh, detective King, I think. And, uh, Swink is all like, no, fucking stop. And real quickly, he gets logged in and he's suddenly in this chair and gets his head ripped open fucking saw style. What a noob. <laughs> so October kind of blames Hutch for the whole thing and tells him to go find out everything he can about the game and to take Abigail with him. Meanwhile, we see uh, cop dude King, I think, go to GameStop. It's not branded GameStop, <laughs> but it's fucking GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh he asked the fucking uh, tweaker cashier that uh kind of reminds me of Derek from some 41 yes but he his character reminds me of fucking randy he's like the video game store version of randy oh from clerks no from scream oh yeah i can see that i can see that so he asked and of course he's like no oh, man that must be some underground shit hasn't even been released <laughs> it's just it's Anyways, 
His best lines when he's like, let me guess, you work a bullshit job all day, and you got wife and kids at home, and you got to get your get your frag count up at night, blow some people's brains out. I remember exactly what he says. That's the gist of it right that there. That is so the gist of it and the vibe. But he goes and gets in his truck, and this thing comes from behind the seat and goes into his mouth, and then you get an outside shot of the truck, and then just blood splatter all inside. Fatality. And that was in the PG-13 version, but you didn't see the mouth part from the video game. So now you get to right. see that part because they talk about this part was unfinished, but we wanted to show it anyways, blah, blah, blah. All the shit makes more sense <laughs> is the point. So Hutch and Abby end up going to get their breaking and entering on over at Loomis's house. And he tells the story about his dad torturing his mom when he was little. And if he had just been bigger, maybe he could have saved her, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Does he have a limp that he carries for the rest of the movie? Not yet, but after the <laughs> end, he does. This is not in the commentary, which I thought was funny. If you watch the scene when they go from the front door to the window, look left to frame, and there's a crew member standing in the shot. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to yeah, check that out. It's one of those. Nothing. You know what the worst thing ever is, is when they release Buffy in widescreen on DVD and there's like shots of like lights and fucking second cameramen at the edge of frame and some fight scenes and shit. Are you talking about the show or the nineties film? The show. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. But once they get inside, they crack open Loomis's tower and end up finding the, uh, contact information for the game developer. They're smart enough to look where the cops wouldn't. <laughs> right. Well, he says that she goes, wouldn't the police have found anything useful? And he goes, not if they didn't know where to look, which I thought, I mean, this is 06. Usually they take the tower at that exactly. point and have a fucking forensics guy go through the software and see, or, you know, the history and see what's going on and everything. But no, no, no. They took everything in hackers. They took the fucking monitors, the useless fucking monitors. <laughs> in case there was a Palm Pilot duct taped inside it. Come on now. Touche. <laughs> At any rate, with this newfound information, they call Swink in October and tell him what's going on. But October's like, oh, I got my own theory. And somewhere around here is where shit gets weird because it's either after this scene or before this scene where she goes full on into the Elizabeth Bathory thing in the rated version. But that is moved a few scenes here later in this version. Just going to throw that out there. In the better version? Yes. The only version. <laughs> But uh, she says she's been reading the Malleus Demonium, and the, it means witch's hammer. It doesn't. Even if you translate that, it clearly means demon. I can see that. But we all know Malleus Demonium. That almost sounds familiar. Well, what sounds familiar is the book she's actually fucking referencing when she goes into her thing, and that's the Malleus Maleficarium. It's been used in fucking supernatural, like, all kinds of shit. Hammer of Witches. This was a real book that was referenced all the time in the fucking uh, Inquisition of Witches. This is where we get all the crazy shit. Oh, raper. If she likes it, she's a witch. Now I'm being grossly broad there, but I mean, this is where a lot of the crazy shit came from was this book. It was probably used as reference for hereditary by Ari Aster. It was probably <laughs> on the list. <laughs> so I don't know if they couldn't say the actual name or if they just fucked it up that bad, but it pissed me off. Moving I've on. actually came across that a few times in this podcast where I wonder why they use a name so close or a symbol. Actually, it happened in hereditary. Payamon symbol is different in the movie than the actual yeah. Payamon symbol. And 
it comes down to copyright issues. And that's what I, I theorize on this is that I really hope that's what it is. Cause if they just made some shit up, that's like, damn, <laughs> I know exactly. Right. So October, she does end up bringing up Bathory and uh, she says that she thinks she's been brought back to life and explains the only way to kill her. We need to put three nails through her heart, neck, and then forehead. So meanwhile, we've got Swink looking out the, no, he's not looking out the window. Swink is watching uh, fucking news and sees the dead cop because they're reporting on that. And then at the same time, the fucking cops come rolling up on the apartment. So they take off. So this is where Hutch and Abigail go to the developer's place, which is this big plantation house. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but what they said on the commentary was this entire scene doesn't exist in the rated version of them going to the plantation and meeting with the game developer. In the rated film, they show up at a house and you just see a porch and they're like, this is an odd place for a game studio. And Abigail finds like a, a secret passage basically into a room full of like research and Elizabeth okay. Bathory stuff, including her diary. But there's no one in the house. And then they find a graveyard in the backyard in the tower. Gotcha. Now, in this one, they actually go inside and they're looking around and Abigail discovers this little countess doll. And then she gets confronted by somebody holding the big ass shears. And his name's Jonathan. And we have another hacker's tie in. Because he looks just like his fucking sister, Angelina Jolie. <laughs> I can't remember the actor's fucking name, but that's who he is. And uh, he explains that, you know, he could never get the story of Elizabeth Bathory out of his head. And he used this real legend to breathe life into the game and shit. But for the full story, they need to go talk to a local author. Enter Alice fucking Krieg who was doing Silent Hill the same damn year, <laughs> which is awesome. Her Creole accent in this movie is terrible. I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about because you're talking <laughs> about something I haven't seen since 06. Oh shit. Well, it cuts straight from the plantation to them being at this like old library talking okay. with this woman. I got to borrow this movie from you next time I see you. <laughs> and I don't even remember her fucking character's name. I just saw her and I'm like, that's the bad chick from Silent Hill. It's the bad chick from Silent Hill. <laughs> and she tells the story that Bathory came to the States and that she was so vain. She shattered all the mirrors in her mansion. Oh, and she bathed in the blood of 39 virgins before she was raided. <laughs> Some of that's true. <laughs> the bathing of virgin blood. That's about it. <laughs> But there was some public justice and they ended up walling her up in her tower fucking alive. Not she wasn't fucking anyone. That's just me overusing the F word. Anyway, <laughs> our New Year's resolutions, Josh. I know. Right. But as she was being walled up in the tower, she vowed that one day she would be resurrected. And uh, the author says that the proper text could bring her back to life. Oh, shit. The poem from the game. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> So they go to update Swink. They see that the game by now is actually playing by itself. And there's like this life imitating art back and forth thing between the game and the real world now, which I really wish they had done sooner in the movie and played with a lot more because by the time they go full balls out with it in the third act, it feels out of place. They could have built up to it better. But anyways, I just kind of took it as she was gaining more power as we went along. Eh, 
I just, it's so fun when it gets to the, the interactive part in yes. the third act. I, um, I thought it was a little cheesy though. Like I, I would have rather Swink do something in the game and then it happen in the real world instead of him materializing yes. physical objects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 100%. But since we're starting to see this, this mesh start to happen, we've got in game October is out for a walk, having a smoke. And because that's what's going on in the game, it leads her into this neighborhood with this construction site. And she sees this house and she looks in the house and she sees a dead girl in one of the windows. Cause these little dead girls like pop up all the time. They're like the harbinger of like, if you see the dead girls, <laughs> fucking bathroom's close. They're the minions. Well, it's the, it's the 39 virgins. Presumably we know that now. Ah, and apparently she likes some of them really young in all seriousness because they're, they're like young girls in the movie. But, uh, she goes in the house and, she quickly grabs a hammer and three nails. She's like, I'm going to fucking do this shit. But then she spots the nail gun. And she's like, that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> she leveled up. <laughs> Very lethal weapon esque. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, she spots bathroom and she shoots and the nails go right through her. Cause she's a fucking spirit. Come on, man. <laughs> I feel like there's a joke from the crow to be told here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Can you put me up for the night? <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say when she first goes in, she trips over shackles, which is a very odd thing to have on a construction site. When I saw him, I'm like, yeah, she's about to get fucked. <laughs> but as she turns to run away from Bathory, she ends up tripping on the shackles, which are now attached to her. We get one of those overused, cheesy drug off into the darkness shots. And then she's strung up. You mean like Sam Raimi did with the tree in the woods in Evil Dead, the OG. And that was it. Like there was nothing is ever going to top that <laughs> as someone who has grown up in the woods. That was more terrifying to me than a lot of other things. But of course, she's strung up upside down. Bathory slits her throat. Meanwhile, the rest of the group has made it to the house, but they're too damn late. So what's left of the group forms a plan to find the tower and they head back to the developer's plantation house. So Hutch and Abby go inside while Swank says he's going to stay out in the van and go into the game as a decoy. Okay, I just want to stop you right here. So, you know, when I was describing a scene earlier when you were talking about them meeting the game developers in the house? Yeah. It's not that there was parts missing. That whole fucking scene is gone. I was actually talking about this part of the movie. This is the only part of the house you get in the movie. Okay. Oh, so we didn't even, we didn't get the first trip at all. Gotcha. Well, so that just blows my mind. <laughs> Yeah, they really rearranged some shit. So as soon as they go in the house, they do what you're supposed to do in a horror movie and they split up. And there's this cutting back and forth between what's going on in the house and what's going on in game with uh, Swink. And he quickly realizes that the house that he sees in game is the house they're in. So he gets on the phone with Hutch and starts leading him back behind the house through a cemetery. And boom, there's the giant ass tower that no one can see from the street for some reason. Hey, man, I've seen Universal Studios and Disney pull that shit off, so it's possible. They, they hide shit all the time. You're not wrong. When you walk into uh, Diagon Alley and see Gringotts yes. for the first time, you're like, how the fuck did I not see this in the interstate? <laughs> I know, so right? it's possible. It's possible. 
So while Hutch is out going to the tower, we see that Abby has found the secret passageway through the wardrobe in the game and goes into this research room where apparently Jonathan has all this is the the pins and the red string. Right. <laughs> He's got all this battery shit up there. And uh, there was other shit that was cut that there you were supposed to see the other side of the room and see all of his computers and all of his testing lab and all this shit and put two and two together that he got so obsessive about the story that this is the room he created uh. the game. Well, it's probably really easy for Abby to find secret rooms when they now have a, a player in the team that can just hit the M button and look at the map <laughs> right, and tell you where to go, because that's basically what happens from here on out. This is true. And they beat you over the head with it, because when she sees the Omar, she's like, oh, it's just like in the game. And then, you know, Swink breaks out his you know, most recent issue of tips and tricks magazine. And it goes to the walkthrough <laughs> or the Brady games book. Right. But it's not out yet. Cause the game's not out yet. So he had to go to the tips and tricks magazine and he flips through <laughs> and he's got the shortcuts. How many references do we get? Tip, tips and tricks, game informer, Nintendo power. Uh, I broke up Brady games. <laughs> oh shit. Digital pictures. We're on a roll tonight. <laughs> Somebody sponsor us. Jesus Christ, please. So now that she's found the research room, the fucking lights go out and, you know, Bathory only comes at night and she screams and she lights the lighter because it's the important Resident Evil fucking tool in the in the game or in the movie. Check. Well, both. Fuck it. Anyway, she lights the lighter and she notices that she's laid on the floor next to a dead Jonathan. The dead girls appear around her and hold her down as Bathory comes at her with the fucking shears. Meanwhile, Hutch heard her initial scream and is running back towards the house and he's got Swink leading him. And this is the part that's really cool. But like you brought up really dumb at the same time, because he goes up to this hatch to try to get into the house. and He's like, oh, there's a lock on it. I need a crowbar or something. And so Swink throws his down in the game and it appears in the real world. That's dumb. It's really dumb. But if Swank would have popped the lock with the crowbar in the game and then he just saw the lock open in the real yes. world would have been so much cooler. And it makes it worse because they turn around and do exactly that where he goes over to a door that's locked. And this time Swink unlocks the door in the game and Hutch is able to open it. And and I basically went through that line of thought watching the film the other night. <laughs> I was like, well, they did it here. But they're at least aware of how crazy what they're doing is. So, of course, Hutch doesn't make it to Abby in time and Swink gets to her and uses a rose to temporarily dispatch the evildoers. I really like the rose bit. I think it's kind of neat. Yes, that was a great idea. And showing it early in the game that like, oh, if you run out of ammo, use this. But if you run out of them, you're fucked. Like, awesome. Totally. That felt more gamer than a lot of shit in this movie. Yeah, that's some Castlevania two Simon's Quest bullshit. Putting the garlic down. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that whole game is bullshit. <laughs> Fuck you, I love the Castlevania series. I love the Castlevania series, but I hate to... That is Nightmare 2 to me, all right? <laughs> oh, I actually really like Simon's Quest. Uh, Aiden watched me beat it when they added it to the... Uh, oh, no, no, it was... Um, when Molly was born, I bought the Castlevania collection on Nintendo Switch because I knew I was going to be in the hospital for a few days. And I beat the first one in the hospital, and then Aiden watched me beat Simon's Quest because I always love that game. That's the okay. first, like, open-world game I ever remember playing where you could go to different areas at different times and find shit and have to go back. And That's that right there. That and Metroid is what gave us the term Metroidvania. And I, that was my thing. It was too much of a departure from the rest of the series for me. Yeah. But anyways. <laughs> Our nerdism bleeds through again. <laughs> 
once Hutch finally gets to her, they kiss. They don't in the director's cut. Thank God they left that crappy scene out because I think it's dumb. The bathroom scene set it up to be so totally obvious that they were going to get together. And then to see them not get together feels better to me than just like, oh, oh kittens and unicorns. Everything's OK. Well, they had that. Uh, I, I think we kind of went past it, but they, they have like a, a pretty good bonding moment in the van when you find out that her entire backstory of her perfect life is bullshit and she was homeless. Right. And living out of her van and all that. And that's why she, you know, she's like, I need to use your bathroom. It's because there's not a bathroom in her fucking van. Right. I and you're right. I totally skipped over that. And there's another there's a great behind the scenes thing there. The reason she's wearing a wig is this is one of those times when they got ready to film the movie. She had shaved her whole fucking head. And they're like, "Okay, what the fuck did you do? We're going to put you in a wig. And they asked her to take the wig off in that scene to show that everything about her was fake. Oh, but she didn't want to do it. She said it'd be too much like laying it on too thick. Yeah. yeah. But I I felt like they're it's not one of those movies where like the. You know, one of them saves the other one and they share a kiss. I'm like, that's so out of place. I didn't feel that in that one. But you don't have to have that in any movie. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. And and that's the thing is that that's what always happens. You know, it's like the when you have the hero and the final girl, like they always end up getting together. Like, I don't I don't like that cliche. And I think that's why I'm so hung up on it. But they head back to the van to kind of regroup with Swink. But on their way, Swink gets spooked. And by spooked, I mean, he ends up outside of the van and all the doors shut. And he sees the game playing by itself. And he's like, oh, shit, here comes the carriage. And he manages to reach in through a side window and just smack the remote and get his character running off into the woods. So he starts running off into the woods in real life. He runs and runs until he gets tangled up in a rose bush, just as the carriage rolls up on him. And then we see game over over his body in the game, which makes no sense. He's surrounded by roses. How the fuck could this be? The rules, man. It'll make sense in just a minute. (laughs) So we've got Hutch and Abby are all that's left. So they kid up with roses and nails and they head for the tower. We're halfway through the third act. I forgot to bring that up (laughs) because saying we're (laughs) at the third act has become part of our (laughs) shtick. Very recently, and it it, it was not something that was done on purpose, actually. just kind of organically happened. Yeah, but I think it's because our episodes run so long that we warn the listener. It's like, we're almost there. Other than Ari Aster, the second year has been pretty good. And this one, this one looks like it might be pretty good so far. Yeah. So as they go back to the cemetery again, the carriage almost takes out Hutch, but he pulls out the rose just as the horses get right in his face and they, the whole thing disappears. That's a really cool shot. It just looks good. But they make their way into the tower and they go down into the tunnels and they're quickly surrounded by dead girls. And the plan for this part of the movie was for them to be armed. And actually go balls out like Silent Hill vibe over the shoulder of fighting through the girls to make their way to Bathory. And they didn't have the money. At least that's what they say in the commentaries. They really wanted that scene in the movie and just couldn't afford it. I mean, the amount of CGI that you told me was unfinished and they put in the movie anyways makes me think they went over budget bad. Yeah, which I don't have numbers on this one. I'm really bad about not looking that up. So instead of a bad, badass shoot out or fight whatever with the dead girls, they just immediately go into the next available door, which is conveniently the torture chamber. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds a lot like when Deadpool accidentally forgot his bag of ammunition in the back of the taxi. (laughs) So in this room, Hutch quickly spots a door that heads to the stairs that go to the top of the tower. 
And as he goes in there, the door slams behind him, leaving Abby trapped in the torture room. And so they have a nice little exchange through the little hole in the door. It's like, you know, I'm going to go save us. I got this. And she stays behind. (laughs) I hate this part because she sits down and starts wasting her one rose and she's pulling off the petals. He loves me. He loves me not. (laughs) It's like, bitch, that's your only survival tool. Yeah, but she's throwing the petals around her. So, I mean, she's making that magic barrier. The thing is, though, that we saw earlier in the film is that as the evil gets closer to it, it deteriorates them, right? Well, they deteriorate as soon as they hit the ground. You have to, like, use it right then. And I'm with you. I I seriously think that her character thinks that that she still has the rose and she's protecting herself. I really do think that. And this he loves me, he loves me not thing was just something to distract herself with. But it still feels weird. Like I would be holding on to that rose and sitting in the corner like, you go get me, you go get me. I got a rose, motherfucker. <laughs> I would have been holding it in my teeth like I was doing the tango. <laughs> but uh, as soon as she runs out of petals, it goes dark. Bathory shows up and strings her ass up above the tub. And here's where shit gets real different between the two cuts. Bathory goes ahead and strips butt ass naked and grabs her spear and takes her naked self walking over to the tub (laughs) and starts playing with Abby, rubbing the spear on her. Not in my movie. (laughs) As I say, I don't think this this quite happens in the PG-13 version. Not quite at all. Different movie. (laughs) And we cut back to Hutch up in the tower. He makes his way into the room and he finds Bathory's real body laying in the bed. And he's brought his kit with him. And he drives the three nails into her because it was the head, the heart. Where's the third one go? Eh. Anyways, he drives the the three nails into her. (laughs) God damn it, Josh. We're trying to run a quality podcast. Yeah, we're trying. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I don't remember they went either. I just remember in a minute where they start popping out. Yeah, I love that shot. Yeah, it's good. And uh, as he puts the last nail into her, there's this burst of energy that knocks him back and he knocks over the table that has the oil lamp on it. That's important. (laughs) So he gets down on the floor and he's putting all of his stuff back into the satchel, which I'm pretty damn sure is the satchel he got of Loomis's. Oh, that makes sense. And behind him, well, there's a close shot of him and you just hear metal like clank on the floor. And then he kind of looks around and then you hear metal clank on the floor again. And then he turns and Bathory is stood up by this point and the shot of how she's slowly turning her head and the nail slowly spinning and comes out of her forehead. <laughs> fucking phenomenal. That is an iconic shot for the history of horror. Good or bad movie. I love that. Shot. Right. Yeah. It's done really well. It's probably one of the most horror things in the movie. Yeah. It's like, there's your fucking trailer finale shot right there, <laughs> which I don't know if it is, but it probably was. And uh, he's like, oh shit, I'm fucked. But he looks down and he sees the chromed out Alienware laptop and he remembers that she hates reflections, just like Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Evil will see itself and it will die. (laughs) And he fucking turns around with a laptop and she fucking sees herself and can't break it because it's not a mirror. But then she turns into fucking long faced Ash from uh, Army of Darkness (laughs) when he gets sucked into the wrong book. So it reminded me of something and I couldn't figure out what it was. Like I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I still don't know if it's that, but it, it definitely reminded me of something when the mouth just opens. Could have been fucking brain scan when Trickster eats Michael, actually. For uh, all I yeah. know. But um, so she's fucking freaking out. Hutch quickly grabs the lighter. He sets the lamp oil that's all over the room on fire. The whole room goes ablaze. 
We have cutbacks to when he was a kid and his Nintendo controller melting in the fire and him crying and everything because he can't get the door open. And now it, it's it's really happening to him. He set this crazy spirit on fire and he can't get out of the room. And just in time, Swink bust out the door wrapped in the rosebush, which is (laughs) fucking awesome. Yes. That is awesome. It's like, I'm carrying this around with me. Like, yes, that's, that's a gamer in real life right there. It is, but I almost wish it would have been Finn instead. Oh, like we should have lost swink earlier and kept Finn. Totally agree. But if that had happened, we wouldn't get to hear Frankie Muniz say, motherfucking blah, 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 whatever he says that line outside the van in the in the unrated version. It's stupid as shit. I wouldn't know because I haven't seen it since 06. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you borrow it. You you have to see the good version more recently with it fresh on your mind. I just want to say, while I was watching the movie for the podcast, I texted Josh and said, do you have the unrated or the rated version? He said, unrated. I said, thank God, because this version doesn't even make any fucking sense, because I'd never seen the rated version before. (laughs) When I was in bed, when you texted me, and I got the first text message, and I was like, oh, no. And Ginger was awake, and she's like, what? And I was like, Jesse's asking me if I watched the unrated version. This happened once before, and he was like, you know, we should probably do the version most people have seen the next time this comes up, and he's fixing to tell me not to do the unrated version. (laughs) Not in this case, man. It's trash. Dude, I was so happy when you sent that text. I was like, that's nice. I set my phone down. I was like, I can go to sleep now. (laughs) New rule. We use our own judgment. We cover the good version. (laughs) Yeah. I think in a lot of cases, the the theatrical version would be the better. But I feel like this movie just got fucking neutered. So if it gets neutered, we got to do it. Yeah, this is the exception to the rule. Yeah. So everybody goes out of the tower. And they make their way down and out. And the whole place is on fire. We cut back to GameStop. And we see that the very first batch of Stay Alive has been delivered. And it's the same dude we saw from earlier. And he goes over to a slimline PS2, pops in the disc. And lets it rip on the store TVs. And we see the opening cutscene of the game. And it zooms into Bathory up in the tower. The end. Because, of course, the game's going to be released. More people are going to say the poem. She can be everywhere now. And the only reason why I think that was possible is because, yes, he burned the blood. But he burned the blood while the nails were not in her. Exactly. And I feel like they, they didn't do the, the kill ritual properly. He needed to burn her with the nails in her, which he didn't do it properly so she's still alive yep and i'm i'm totally okay with that and like i said a few times i've done it in a dungeons and dragon campaign countless times (laughs) (laughs) but like i like i said i didn't watch it back in the day there's so many ideas in this movie that had they been done in a slick way this would have been a fucking classic not just from the yeah. gaming tie-in just there's a lot of good ideas in here and it it just it didn't come together and i made a joke earlier in this episode about knights of bad astum and watching the commentary they talk about we made a rated r movie then got told to make it pg13 we ran out of money we didn't get to do this we didn't get to do that it feels like like there may have been a really strong project that kind of got taken away from the creator right which sucks. I'd love to find out more about that. Um, Cause I know I ragged on the guys for saying that they don't know shit about the Konami code, but they said it in their own commentary and it was not the kind of commentary where they were constantly joking, you know, like I don't think it was a tongue in cheek thing, but shit like that happens, man. I fucking fake it till you make it. You know, they wanted to make a horror movie. They didn't want to make a video game movie. They wanted to put a, a modern twist on a horror movie. And that was their angle. And like I said, what, what we got was a really fun, turn your mind off to watch film. 
And like you said, it, it could have been a, a cult classic if done properly. And at the same time, how many movies could you put on this list that are horror movies about video games, not video game right. horror movies? And I know of two. <laughs> the ones we covered today. Uh, yeah, there, there's more out there. But honestly, I, I think this was one of the more fun ones. It was a semi-recent one. I enjoyed it a lot. Did you like the movie? I like the movie, but I totally I even told the wife when we were watching about halfway through it, I said, this is going to be go go firmly in my what might have been list that I could just feel. Oh, this is so close to good. And I don't normally pick your movies, but do you see like when you didn't have an idea for one for the genre, why I picked that one? I feel like it was a good one for that. For the time it came out, I felt like it it tied in those kind of games pretty well with the horror genre. No, that was totally fine because you kept saying, mentioning these movies and you know what? I'm going to backtrack on something I said earlier. Uh, brain scan. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? And <laughs> stay alive. I'm like, that sounds familiar. And I brought it up to Ginger. I had watched it before. She put it oh. in one time because it's her movie. And I think it's one of those nights that it was going to bed and she put it in and I went in, went to bed and just went to sleep and didn't actually yeah, watch yeah. the movie. So, no, that's I had no idea what was going on with this. You're just like video game movies. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, we're going to do the Cinemax version of fucking horror video game movie Blood Rain. Um, (laughs) And that's the thing. Like, we are huge horror fans, obviously. And we're also huge video game nerds. I mean, Josh is just going to have to send some pictures of his man cave just so I can put it on the Instagram. As a matter of fact, do that for me this week. If you get some time, I think it'd be fun to show your man cave. On the Instagram this week with with what we covered. I feel like a lot of you listeners, at least the ones that I've heard from or the ones that I know from one way or another, you are also all huge video game nerds as well, especially the horror ones. And I don't know. I feel like it's something a lot of us click together on. And it was a lot of fun to to do it together. You know what I mean? Like do the horror with the video games. Yep. And uh, survival horror, especially. And like I said, you know. I watched this movie and the very next day I was like, I have to sit down and play through D and alone in the dark. This happened on the podcast before where I've ragged on a movie where I'm like, and got scared by it. And, you know, I love that. If it's not just a fun ride, I I like it having an effect on me. And even, even this movie, like, oh crap, I got to go play some survival horror games and I want to go, you know, old school with it. You're right. Like as soon as I watched this movie, I wanted to play. D and for some reason brain scan makes me want to play night trap, but that's because that's my favorite like interactive movie game of all time. (laughs) And thank God we got, you know, redone versions of that and double switch recently to play. Yeah. And corpse killer. I have not played the remake of corpse killer yet or the re-release. So uh, I'm going to have to actually, I might get that one when we get finished recording tonight. (laughs) Yeah. It's, (laughs) It's one of the games that when you see the clear, the clarity of the video of like the zombies and everything, it's like, damn, this shit's bad. Like they knew how low resolution it was going to be. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. I just remember dude really wants to get a Hummer, you know, so. <laughs> this was a really fun episode. I feel like to make, I, I got to see one of my favorite movies from when I was like a preteen or a teenager that I hadn't seen in decades almost. And uh, Josh got to see it for the first time. Stay Alive, I felt like it did a really good job of being in the times and doing its thing. And it was really fun to do. And that's going to be it for the horror video game episode. 
And you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode when we cover the Blade Trilogy because we decided, why the fuck not? Let's go out there a little bit more. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. We figured if we went out there on one episode, let's just go out there on the other one. It's horror, there's vampires, there's a lot of gore, and uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun, so you guys are going to have to tune in on that one. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spread the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online, and please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at SBIS Podcasts. This might motivate us to use them more. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. Game over.